We've declared war on work as a society, all of us. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. That no people on earth are so fearless or daring or determined. The world is not driven by greed. It's driven by envy. This is about as macro an environment as I've ever seen. Undercapitalized, the wrong people, bad market conditions. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Welcome back, everybody, to the TEL Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Lassiter. This is episode number seven. We're moving along here. I'm still down in Southern California. Spent some time over the holidays with some family. And my sister just recently had a baby, so I'm here today with another guest. It's my brother-in-law, Dawson Pendergrass. What's up, Dawson? What's going on? I realized that you and I haven't really had many like one-on-one conversations over the years, and you've been married to my sister for how long? It's, uh, five years now. Yeah. So first order of business, got my sister pregnant. <laughs> Where were you <laughs> the night of nine months ago? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, Dawson grew up, I think, in the same town as me, right? Yep, is it right here? Born and bred here in Yucca Valley. Yep, I actually was born in Bakersfield, and then when I was a few weeks old, that's when my parents moved out here. I had uh, two older siblings at the time, and then, yeah, I was here until um, 2016, uh, two weeks after high school. That's when I left for basic training for the Air Force. Air Force. Did you like the Air Force? I did, so... Um, I, I looked at most branches, most branches. The two that I kind of debated was the Navy and the Air Force. Um, I talked to the Air Force recruiter mostly. I never talked to a Navy recruiter, but I was looking for the intentions of mostly like schooling and something that will kind of set me up for after. Cause I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about 20 years when I joined. Um, when I joined, I actually was looking at becoming an aircraft maintenance. Or aircraft mechanic. That's kind of funny because I was sort of similar what I was looking for. Like I, when I, I don't know how the Air Force is, but the Marine Corps, you, you pick like a job category and then there's like a bunch of jobs within that category that you could get that the government decides for you. They, they don't let you pick like specific jobs. So I think mine was communications and electronics mm-hmm. was like the, I don't know, the, I, I don't want to say department. It was like the category. Right. And part of it was, it's all communications, but then part of it was like electrical maintenance on aircraft. Really? And so that's what they were like saying, yeah, you could go do electrical maintenance on aircraft. And I'm thinking, you know, like you, what can I do after? And then I was a, like a radio operator. Just like dude with a radio. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, so like even before I got in, I wasn't even assigned any job or category, I guess. Um, and I was already looking at Boeing and the certifications you could get um, that you need to work on these aircrafts. Um, I did all my research on what type of aircrafts I could. I wanted to go on either fighter fighter aircraft, which I guess could translate um, outside probably to more of like a private organization that works specifically, you know, on more jet-like planes um, or heavy. So those are kind of the two that I was going for. Um, and when I went in, I wanted, so I was bouncing between that and spec ops just because I thought spec ops, you know, would be cool. I was looking at EOD and TAC P. Um, but my recruiter, uh, told me that there's no spots open. And at that time, I didn't know that I could wait for a spot to open. And she's like, 
you can go open mechanical, which is that category mm-hmm. um, for one of these like aircraft maintenance is mostly what was in it. And there was like, you know, $2,500 bonus I could get. And I was like straight out of high school, you know, I was like $2,500, like <laughs> sign me up. So I signed up for that. Two weeks later after graduating high school, I left for um, basic training. And uh, that's probably about week four, week five is when you actually get assigned your job. So you can like put your picks. I think there was like seven picks you could do. And I put all, you know, like uh, C-17 mechanic, fighter jet mechanics, the C-5s, all these big heavies, mostly what I had. I didn't get either one of those. I got vehicle operations, which is equivalent to motor T, which has nothing to do with mechanics whatsoever. Uh, that's funny. It's funny because I most everybody has that story. You know, like for sure. Most everybody I talk to, what's funny to me is there's like half the dudes that are my buddies that I served with, they got bonuses. I didn't get a bonus. Did you get same job they got? Yeah, same job. I didn't get a bonus. They got like five grand bonus. I didn't get anything. I was like, dude, I got sold a bill of goods. I think all of us do though. That's just how it is. But yeah. um, did you know my sister during that time? Were you, were you my sister? So... I met your sister in probably in my eighth grade year. She She's was gonna in, love the fact that we're talking about. I know ninth grade year um, of high school. We went to we both were going to Joshua Springs. Um, then my freshman year, you know, we did that like thing. Um, after my freshman year, I actually moved, so that's when it stopped. I spent two years up in Tehachapi, and then I came back my senior year, and not really, I never really communicated to her, and then. Probably like six months before, no, probably about two months before I graduated, I uh, met Haley, I guess. I saw Haley at a, at a party I was at. Um, and yeah, after that, you know, I, we, we kept talking and then um, through boot camp, she, she wrote me a letter. I wasn't going to write her at all. And I was like, you know, I was like, I'm leaving. Why, why would I? you know, keep this up. And then I got this letter from her and I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And then like one of the last couple of weeks in basic training, she sent like a little school or a photo of her. I don't know when it was taken. I was, yeah. I was like, this could get pretty serious. And then, yeah, it did right after I got out. Um, we talked a lot over the phone. I officially started dating probably a few months. I, was, I think I was in tech school. Uh, still, I had like a month and a half, two months. Where was that at? Tech school that was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Okay. That's where all the Ford observers in the Marine Corps go to school. Ford is, yeah, yeah. So base was actually really huge. Um, the, there was Army, Marines, and then us there. Okay. I didn't see much Navy. Uh, Army, I think, I think they're 88 mics equivalent to motor T or vehicle ops. They okay. they taught there, um, and then yeah, there's a just I think it was like a small squadron of of Marines there. Is it true that when Marines are on Air Force Base that their airmen get like hazard pay? <laughs> no, but I will tell you this: we should have got hazard pay. I, I did a <laughs> I did a three month. Um, we call them TDYs. It's kind of like a deployment, I guess, up in Marone, Spain, and it was. Air Force and then mostly Marines. So we're, we're kind of, um, attached to a Marine unit. And dude, there's like, 
five airmen, I think, that got jumped by Marines out there. It was it was crazy. They got jumped? Dude, yeah, they got just I don't know. I don't know, dude. Just they were they were found. I wonder what I wonder what the story room. is behind that. It's, I don't know. So even even our rooms there, our, our barracks there, um, we separated Marines and Air Force, but the female Marines couldn't even stay in the Marine barrack. They had to stay in the, oh, yeah, the no, first floor. Target. <laughs> Marines should get hazard pay just for living with other Marines. Okay, so uh went to boot camp in San Antonio. Yes, right? San Antonio. Okay. And then where was your first duty station? So I actually had one duty station. I thought all I knew living out here was Marines and they move every like two years. I thought it was the same, not the same. I went from San Antonio to my tech school, Missouri to Little Rock, Arkansas. And then I stayed there almost my entire six year contract. Oh, I stayed there my whole contract that I was in. And then you had a couple, you call them deployments. Well, I had, I had, yeah. There, I'm telling you, dude, the Air Force was easy. But, um, I didn't harass you just like maybe two more <laughs> anymore. <That's okay. laughs> no, I did a seven month deployment to Qatar. Um, I got back uh, February 21. Um, and then before that, I did a small training TDY in Spokane, Washington. And then before that, that's what I did that three month uh, TDY in Spain. How was, how was Spain? So it was good. So Probably the best part of my job is when we got to the point because we have the entire vehicle fleet for the base. So um, because we have access to all those vehicles, we're like the only people that can go off base, you know, anytime we wanted pretty much. Oh, wow. We just okay. kind of loan out vehicles, I guess, to ourselves and we, we take them out to the city. Um, the closest city there was Sevilla. Um, it was actually really cool. Went out there quite a bit. The food was great. Um, we worked, I think it was 312s on and then one off. So it was kind of a slow mission there. Um, we're really just supporting the Marine aircrafts and stuff like that. And then uh, you'd always get like fighter jets and stuff like that. But we worked hand in hand also. It was kind of split. It was kind of weird. But the, the Spaniard Army, I guess, they're, they're out there, but they kind of like section off the base to only the Spaniards can go here and the Spaniards can only be on this half of the runway. That's interesting. Yeah. So it was kind of a slow mission. So we definitely had a lot of downtime, which was cool. So I definitely got to experience a lot of Spain around the area. When you left the base, were you only allowed to stay in in like Spain or the surrounding city or were you able to go to like Italy or something like that? Um, because they would take other trips. No, I think I never heard anybody do it. Only the people that were permanently stationed there, which was like oh, okay. my shop, I think there was three or four permanent active duty members there. Uh, but for us that were just there on a TDY, now we, we kind of, they, they gave us like an hour uh, range. You can't drive more than an hour past, but nobody checked that. So I, we checked out a couple cities that were about like two, three hours away. It was pretty sweet. I had fresh gelato there. That was Ooh. best ice cream I think I've ever yeah, had. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you were married to my sister for that one, right? Yeah, so I got married a year and a half in. How was that? First time really going abroad. Now you're married, pretty freshly married. Uh, I th- you know, some people think it's rough. Um, Haley and I definitely had good standings. You know, we, we had, we believe the same stuff. We know our, our faith is put in the same thing. Um, but the first year and a half was long distance anyways that we did. So I think that really, you know, set us up well. Yeah. And put us in a, in a good spot for me to be able to travel like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
So after that deployment, you went back to Little Rock. Mm. What's next? After the Spain one? Yeah. So uh, pretty much um, I was at home station for nine, nine months, I believe. Yeah, nine, ten months. And then that's when I got tasked to my uh, deployment to Qatar. Okay. Yeah. You didn't do anything before that? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So trying to get this right. You're a driver or were you actual like maintenance, like actually turning wrenches and stuff? No, didn't turn one wrench at all. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. so really looking funny. Cause you come from like a whole family of like mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. My little brother's a mechanic. My, you know, my older brother's really good with his hands, not necessarily just as a mechanic, but just construction and stuff like that. And then my sister, older sister, sister married a mechanic. So, okay. Yeah. It's so, a family. I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I thought I was going to turn wrenches. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of it was kind of hard. Uh, there's like a lot of desk jobs in the Air Force, but like the first you know year and a half, two years as a lower level airman, uh, you know I got qualified on you know uh, tractor trailers, these big, big semi trucks, being able to move ammunition, bombs, personnel, buses. I pretty much drove like everything you can think of. Do you get like actually certified with a CDL and all that stuff? Does it yeah. transfer over or are you just like, that's in the military and that's it? Yeah. So I didn't just because I, I knew I didn't really want to do that anymore, but they changed it now. They had to change the whole training process that worked with the DOT um, for our career field so that it would translate directly over. Now I was kind of grandfathered in. We didn't have like that DOT requirement training. Um, but they gave me the option. I, they literally gave me a piece of paper. I had it signed by my commander. I guess I really just had to turn it to the DMV. I would have a uh, class C license. Oh, man. Yeah. Like shortly after I hit the fleet, um, they had all of us radio operators go get certified on like all of the vehicles, all the versions of the Humvee, the seven tons, everything. Really? Actually, not the seven ton. We could do like the six by MRAP, the Matt V's, four by MRAPs, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that translated to CDO? No. no. Well, what's funny, so whenever I deployed to Afghanistan in 2012, when I got there, I had to get certified on the 7 ton. I didn't have that one. So I did, and I did like convoys and stuff, driving the 7 ton and everything. But whenever I got back to the stateside, it was only good for Afghanistan. So I was certified to drive a 7 ton in Afghanistan, but not back in North Carolina. That's pretty wild, dude. It's just, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So for us, I got certified here. Um, my job required us to get certified to do our job. Pretty much, you just had to certify on all the vehicles. Um, and then on all my deployments, really, you just, they just give you like a test, I guess. They literally just ride with you and, and whatever vehicles you're operating, like on deployment. And if you can drive it, they sign you off and you just get an updated license to drive in mm-hmm. guitar, but it doesn't really affect. I guess it doesn't affect either thing. You just keep both licenses. They do trash. Oh, okay. Another one. Did you ever flip a vehicle or no? Flip one? <laughs> no. I guess I can say this now that I'm out of the military. So on the Little Rock base, uh, I jumped a 32 packs bus. That was pretty wild. Ooh. Right, right there on base, there was a nice bump in it. I, <laughs> I had a full bus. Um, I knew that that was coming up because I drove it many times, and I hit it a little hard this time, and. <laughs> Got people like flung up, and then everyone didn't have any high ranking people, and everyone's like, again, again, again. So I turned that bus around and I hit a little harder, and yeah, 
didn't destroy anything, thankfully. They have like uh, tow hooks under the front of the bus that, that pretty much just got bent pretty bad. Okay. Like, I don't think anybody really knows yeah, that. Just like, like, hey, Mr. Mechanic. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, we would Eric, occasionally we would have to go out and like get some driving hours in. Mm-hmm. And so we would either take the, my favorite drive. And the drive was the Matt V. I don't know if you ever seen that. I don't think so. They're uh, they're pretty awesome. They have a straight six in them, so they sound real beefy. And uh, can't really say they're armored, but I can't really say they're that armored. Not like an MRAP, right? Um, they're a lot lighter, and they just have four wheels and stuff. Um, but they're they're fast. They're a lot of fun to a lot of fun to drive. So we'd have to get driving hours in, and we'd go out into like the mud and stuff in North Carolina. And play around in there. That's pretty interesting because, yeah. like, between the branches, you can kind of see which one, I guess, which branch where they spend the most money. So, mm-hmm. I think I drove in a Humvee one time, and that was like the most military vehicle that mm-hmm. I drove. The rest of our vehicles, you know, are like new tractor trailers, not up armored. We had yeah. like tow trucks that were super nice, stuff like that. I don't even think the Marine Corps gets the Air Force hand me downs. <laughs> I think there's a few other brands. I think the Coast Guard probably gets your hand-me-downs before we do. Probably. Yeah. You guys got a stupid budget. It's probably a lot of space money that like goes unused. And then they're like, who else wants this? (laughs) Wants a bar in their (laughs) barracks room. Like that was probably one of the craziest things in Spain. Um, They had like this restaurant bar right there on the flight line that everybody would just stop by. Um, by the one of the flying squadrons at our home base in Little Rock had a bar in their mm-hmm. like meeting room. I was like, dude, there's too much money going to this nonsense. It's crazy. Um, did you, I, you did like honor guard stuff, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I probably said that was probably the highlight of my career I had was doing that. I did six months of active honor guard and then six months of inactive, which uh, I got the distinguished medal there. Um, going through the training and stuff, I was distinguished honor guardsman, is what they called it. Um, so I actually got pulled back a lot in that six months of inactivity. But yeah, that was super surreal. I would say um, it definitely motivated me and get like made me feel a sense of purpose. I guess just because you know we didn't really do much in our career field that was you know like active in the world events. Mm. Little Rock itself is a training base for C one thirty, so all our missions it's strictly just has to do with training stuff. Right. Really. Yeah, um, it's really hard to go through a bunch of training and then like never use it at all. Yeah. I know a lot of, uh, I, you and I talked about this a little bit. When I was getting closer to getting out of the military, you know, combat operations, like, like actually designated combat operations had pretty much stopped in the Middle East or at least in Afghanistan. And I had all of these like new Marines coming in that I'm training. And they're all like super gung ho. We're going to go like, we know that all of our corporals, they're all, you know, been to, been to Afghanistan. We want to go do that. And we had to be like, yo, things are a little different now. <laughs> Not saying you won't be able to go get you some, but like the mission has kind of changed. Um, and it was really hard to impress upon them the importance of the training still knowing in the back of their mind that they might not ever be able to do it. Some of them actually did because there were some other units and stuff that those guys went to that actually got to go do stuff. Um, but it was hard, you know, and it was actually hard for me in the tail end of that. Cause I wanted to deploy again. I wanted to go actually use the training that we got and it was like drying up. So I was like, why am I, why am I here? Why do you think that is though? So when I was in Spain, you know, in the air force, there's really 
it's far and few that you'll see these like gung ho people in the Air Force. It's it's just not like that. But when I was, you know, um doing a TDY with the Marines in Spain, like every Marine I crossed was straight gun gung ho, you know what I mean? Um and I, I wonder, I was like, is it because they're doing so much training? Is that kind of keep how how does the Marine Corps keep them motivated to be in that fight mode? Um part of it is probably I think the average age of a Marine is like 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So they're young, they're full of testosterone, whether people want to believe it or not, young men want to fight for whatever reason. I think it's part <laughs> of us. Um, and then in the Marine Corps, then you have, it's really hard to get through boot camp. I don't know how it is now, but you know, I don't want to be that dude like back in my day. <laughs> but generally speaking across the branches, the Marine Corps boot camps, the hardest. And I think the pride that comes from that mixed with being young and ready to go out and, you know, kill, do, do like fight, go do that stuff. Right. I think it's like, cause it's kind of ingrained in you in boot camp that you are the fighting force. Like your job is to actually go out and, and fight. And I think that's a huge part of it. If you don't feed that though, or there's no war going on or whatever, it turns into just an organization where everybody's like bored. And, you know, bored Marines is not usually good. They usually go out and get in trouble. Um, but I think that's a big difference because I've talked to a lot of Army guys too and asked them because they're the, they're what I would say are the closest to Marine Corps in, in that sense, or at least the infantry guys that I know. Um, because it's a similar job, you know, and in the back of their mind, they're like, if some crap goes down, like it's up to us, we got to do it. So we got to prepare, we got to be ready. And then, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not like bagging on Navy or Air Force or anything like that, but I think it's a big, it's a big deal to instill that in boot camp. You know, the fact that it is so hard and they have that pride and then the mission and the history behind the organization. Pushing it forward, I think that's what it is. But it it does die out, though, if you don't feed it. Yeah, I can see that. I think, you know, from a personal experience, I would say, like, that's one of the things that I grasped from the military. I would say I I would be, I guess I would say I was kind of one of those gung-ho people. I was always looking for opportunities and where I could strive at. Um, And then I had those good leaderships that would help feed into that motivation and keep me motivated. And I think that's how I was able to like translate it over to now, especially with my goals now, because that transition can be kind of tough. Um, but keeping myself motivated, you know, striving for those goals still, like those different accomplishments. Um, I think that was one of the biggest things I did take from the military is that motivation is key, um, especially in like a herd mentality. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, motivated gets thrown around quite a bit. I don't even know if it's motivation, but it's like the sense of purpose. So even if the purpose isn't going and fighting somebody or fighting an enemy of some kind, um, the purpose to be better, like just be a better version of yeah. a Marine or a better version of an airman or something, like I think that is important, which, you know, maybe a little bit we can go over like how deep I want to go with that. But <laughs> um, I want to go back a little bit to, you said you got the distinguished, is distinguished service medal? That said? Distinguished, distinguished honor guards. Honor guard. Yeah. Okay. How, like, what do you have to do to earn that? 
honestly, so there's a group of probably about 20 of us um, that was replacing the group that was leaving on a guard. So we're in this, it was about a six week training that we had to go through. Um, and they just pick like the ones I think that picked up, you know, all the movements, the discipline very well. Um, but they also said they look for people that are motivated that can lead people. Um, so we had four trainers and then they vote on who they thought was the best. Um, and then you get recognized by the commander and everything after that. Did, uh, were you ever like football captain or like have leadership sports? Yeah. Did you have any kind of leadership things? Captain wise? No, I didn't. No. Not in sports or anything. I, uh, I don't know. I really don't know where I picked it up. I guess I, I, I ranked up pretty quick, um, in the Air Force. It was just really test taking. The first two ranks were given to you or, the first three, I guess, until an E3 is kind of just time and service. And then you have to test for E4. Um, but as an E2, they actually put me into more of a leadership position behind a desk. You know, I had was learning experience of running a 66 vehicle fleet um, that I was always getting passed out. You know, you had to keep control of the fleet where all the vehicles are. Um, so I got put into a, a role early on in my career, I think, that kind of helped establish more leaderships roles, I guess, um, characteristics, which I think that's kind of what helped me. Yeah, which seems, right, you picked it up quick, right. quicker than some other people probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Um, how many, like, honor guard details did you have to go on, like, any funerals or whatever? To put a number on, I don't think I can really count that. Is that many? Yeah, so we covered a tri-state area, so we had um, all of Arkansas, Part of Tennessee, which was really just included Memphis, and then um, I think above us a little bit uh, of another state. Um, but yeah, I would say out of a week, you know, I was doing four to five in a week. Oh, wow! Yeah, so I had four to five, and and those were normally, you know, you have you have three types of funerals. Um, you have one for retired folks. Um, and then they get like the three round volley and then somebody that's just a veteran that died, they just get a flag folded and then you have your active duty um, funeral. So is it just air force? Or that, is it? Um, no. So usually the, the military branch of whoever passed away, they would have their own out there, but just because there was so little, there was no, I don't think there's any Marine base near us. Um, we did have an army base in Fort Smith. So I did do a few, you know, for army. I think it was mostly army and air forces, really the ones that I did. Yeah. How long is the training for, for that? It was about six weeks, 12 hours, um, Monday through Friday, but it, it was, it was pretty tough. I, I would say it was just as hard, if not worse than basic training in the sense of like, you know, you really have to keep military bearing. It was physically demanding. We had to carry, you know, hundreds of pounds of casket, you know, every day, yeah. multiple times, carrying sandbags, stuff like that. Um, so it was pretty physically demanding, I would say, yeah. which made it a little tougher, I think, in, for us in basic training. Um, but definitely well worth it. There's a lot of people that kind of, from the maintenance group, just because it was so large, they would pick like the dirt bags out of the maintenance group and throw them in here. But what happened is I think they really... I think everybody that I was with, it almost probably was the highlight of the career just because, you know, it's a really meaningful thing. And to be actually there with someone's 
you know, next of kin, their loved ones. Um, you know, it, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. I had two, two active duty funerals that I did. Um, man, that, you know, that, that kind of rocks me a little bit to see that vividly remembered, you know, one, he actually died here in California, Edwards Air Force Base on a motorcycle accident. Um, I always hate to see that when it's like, they're not even doing their job. Yeah. And it's, it's like, dude. Yeah. So a motorcycle accident, um, man, it was, you know, it was so packed. Um, the choreography of how the, how we perform that funeral, you know, it's, it's really cool. You have like 14 man firing squad or seven man, I think. Yeah. Seven man firing squad. Um, you have specific people carrying the casket. You have uh, color guards. So, you know, people there holding, um, each flag, you have the American flag, the Air Force flag, and then you have two riflemen on the side. And then the NCOIC of Honor Guard is the one that presents the flag. But uh, so I was in that one, I was actually part of the color guard, which we stand in front of the casket when they drop it in front of the family. So, you know, like five feet to my right, it was his wife and he had three kids right there. And, you know, one of them had, you know, Down syndrome and, and j- just to see, I guess the hurt of, you know, what death can really cause people. You know, it, it kind of shook me a little bit. Yeah, that's so rough. Have you seen the movie um, Taking Chance? I don't think I have. With Kevin Bacon? No, it's a phenomenal movie. Um, definitely a tearjerker. Um, it's about a Marine officer that is escorting a fallen Marine back to his hometown. And... Uh, just the the process of like from Dover, getting his body up all the way back to the hometown, doing the service and all that stuff. Um, but that that kid, I think, was in like a real remote part of, I want to say Wyoming or something like that in the movie. But it's really good, and uh, I think that movie gave a lot of perspective on the process of the funerals. Sure, um, you know, unless you have a family member that that has died and you've gone to one of those, you don't, you don't really realize how much those people are honored in those funerals. Mm-hmm. Like the uniforms are perfect. Like the movements have to be perfect and it's not to make the organization look good. It's to make ev- all the highlights be on the fallen, you know, for sure. Um, there was something else I was going to ask about that. I can't remember, but did, did you have to get selected to do that or was it something that you put in for like you were trying to get out of motor T for a while? No. So you do have to get selected. Um, but I, I went to my supervisor at the time and, and I told him I was, I was interested in this. We had a, a couple people do it. That was in my shop that was been there a few years before me. Um, they did it and, and you know, they said they loved it, but for us, our shop specifically, they really only picked the, the ones that were doing well and that they know that could actually excel into something like that. Like voluntold to do it or were they like, show me hands who wants to do this? Usually they ask, uh, I've, I kind of voluntold, but I think there was like two or three people that kind of put our names in the hat there. And then my supervisor selected me out of the three. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. How many years did you do that? That was just that one, six, six months, six months or six months okay. on. And then six months also. It's kind of crazy that they, the turnaround for that is so short. It is short. You know? Yeah. Cause we have, you know, we had like the air force honor guard 
which it's like its own career in itself. Yeah. You know, it's all is that to equal to like the band and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. So you have that and then you have your bass on a guard like this. So mm-hmm. I think like the Air Force on a guard is really for like large events shows, you know, when they do the rifle flipping okay. and stuff like that. So you didn't do any sporting events and stuff? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Color guard, we did do, um, a couple events. Um, I would say like one color guard we did was in the Capitol in Little Rock. Um, they had like some function going on. They asked for us to do the colors while they played the national anthem. Um, so that was pretty cool being in the Capitol and that. And they took us into like the treasury room. So we got a cool tour out of that. Um, but no, not, not any big sporting events. There's not, not really, it's all yeah. college there, which yeah. Razorbacks is okay, but it's not like huge, huge. Um, when I was younger, I can't even remember how old I was. My family took a trip out to like the Washington DC area and we went to Arlington National Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Saw the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and yes. stuff. Have you seen that? I have. Eighth grade DC trip we did. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's, it's humbling. That is. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, the standard that they're held to is absolutely insane. Yeah. I was, I was watching a documentary on it on like what they have to do. It's 24 seven, 365 rain, sleet, snow. I don't think you can drink alcohol or anything. You can't do anything. Their PT standards are insane. Like everything has to be perfect. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys try to mirror that at all? Or was it like, I'd say to an extent, um, but no, I don't know. I, I'm pretty good at attention to detail. So you always have those people that are just like always a little quirky. You know what I mean? They're not always yeah. the cream of the crop that goes to honor guard, but yeah. Um, healthy balance of not taking all the good airmen out of the unit. Yeah. I would have to say, <laughs> like, I, you're weird. We kind of don't want you, but are you smart enough to hold a rifle? Right. <laughs> no, yeah. but man, like those movements, everything, it, you know, it looks so clean when you do it. Right. Yeah. Really, all I shot for, and in my group, we had we had a few that were like that. So I think we held a lot of the people, you know, accountable to that standard that we're trying to hold. Yeah, that's really cool. I know my dad was in the honor guard for uh, the fire department here in San Bernardino County for a while. He loved doing that. It was a lot of hard work and kind of calling out randomly. Like we got this event we got to go to, but I think it was really rewarding for him as well. So now, did you have the option of the Marines? Because I, I know there's a you know, here uh, a few months ago, and the Marines I mean, were there. I mean, if there was an option, I never heard about yeah. it. <laughs> you know, but I was kind of in a different headspace. Um, even if they offered that, I don't know if I would have done that because I was, I was so focused on going and doing the job. Yeah, that not that 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 stuff wasn't important to me, but I've I felt like the best way to honor them was to actually go do the job for sure. You know, so. Um, was this before or after Qatar? On the guard was before Qatar. Okay, so in between your first deployment and then Qatar? Uh, no, it was actually before Spain. So oh, okay. on the guard, Spain, Qatar. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, we can talk about Qatar. How was that? The desert? It is hot. Um, kind of rough. Usually it's a pretty sweet deployment. They have a uh, Doha city next to there where they usually hold like the World Cups for soccer and stuff like that. Um, but of course I went at literally height of COVID. So yeah, yeah so we had to fly in or I'll tell you from the beginning, 
the flight there was awful. You know, we it was like a total of like twenty six hours on the plane. I think that's a little longer than our flight to Afghanistan. Really? Yeah, I think it's a little longer. Yeah. So yeah. we our first stop was in Ireland, uh, which I thought would be cool, but they didn't let us off the plane. So we sat there for like four hours and then took off, flew into Belgium, didn't get off the plane. Belgium. Belgium. Uh, oh no, not not Belgium, Bulgaria. Oh, okay, Bulgaria. Couldn't get off the plane. Stayed there for like two hours, and then flew into Qatar. When uh, when I flew in to Afghanistan, we flew from Cherry Point, North Carolina, up to New York, I believe, and then over to Germany. And when we got to Germany, we had like a four-hour layover, I guess you can call it. Yeah. And I had to be gear guard on the plane to watch all the rifles and gear and stuff. And they're supposed to send somebody to to relieve me like halfway through. Yeah. Never said anybody. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like four hours later. I'm like, dude, this sucks. And I'm hoping like we're getting there at night. So you can't even see out the window to see Germany or anything. I can't go inside. I can't go do anything with the rest of the guys. And then they finally get back on and like, Hey, we brought you a schnitzel. Oh my gosh. I'm like, whatever. Nice. It was pretty good, but <laughs> it wasn't worth it. But on the way, on the way out of Afghanistan, we stopped, we had a layover in Ireland. So we got pretty, uh, Lit this, <laughs> yeah. It was it was cool because you know you're not supposed to. I don't know how you, you guys were in Qatar, but like we're not supposed to drink, which is kind of dumb because you hear like all of the other wars they got to drink. Yeah, all the time. We didn't get a drink. That's dumb. <laughs> about seven months, so, uh, about four months through the deployment, they they didn't serve alcohol, but that was because of COVID. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Perfect sense. And yeah, alcohols, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, I think, uh, toward the end of the deployment, um, it was in November, and so Marine Corps birthday is November tenth. We were still in country, and so they let us have like a couple beers there, and you know, seven months of nothing, and so two beers in like a hundred and something degree weather. You're feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you're feeling pretty good. And then we, you go from there to Kyrgyzstan. Uh, the Air Force Base there, and you're allowed two beers still, but you're you can get the the Russian Balticas, which are like big beers, and they're nine percent. Feeling pretty good. I bet. <laughs> then you go to Ireland, and they're like, you're only allowed two beers. And then I look up there, and I see the like the um, company commander. He gets a he gets like a shot, and I'm like, and then and then somebody else goes up, and they get like. They get another shot. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is it. <laughs> They're letting us. So I go up and I get a shot and then like a couple beers and stuff. And then it was just bum rush. Everybody's getting hammered. Jeez. And the, the, all the officers were just kind of like not looking. And we're like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> but the thing that was funny about that was that, you know, obviously it's after a you know long deployment in Afghanistan, you know, drinking laws are different in other countries. Right. And I know you don't drink, mm-hmm. but... You know, I've had days where I, I drink. You know, I did a thing. I was a Marine. You got to get in somehow, I guess. And that flight was amazing because I slept so good. That's the longest leg of the flight. It's like 14 or 15 hours or something. And everybody was asleep. It was amazing. That's awesome. But when we got off the plane, I had to go back onto the plane to grab something. And the whole plane smelled like booze. <laughs> so I can't even imagine what the flight attendants on that flight. <laughs> but anyways, um, Qatar, what was your 
I mean, are you allowed to talk about what your mission was, or is it just support of the operations on the base? Yeah, so uh, IUD Air Base is really just a central hub going from like you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, uh, Kuwait, stuff like that. We're, we're pretty much the central hub. Um, so you really, you know, we had planes that would come in um, to reload ammunition and stuff like that um, was the majority of it. But when Where are ammo going? This- Regionally, it's going anywhere in the Middle East, or is it yeah. all Africa operations? Uh, so at the time, it was really just going to Iraq and Africa. Um, we had when I think it was who was it at the time? Biden, whoever called the pull out of the troops of Iraq or Afghanistan, whatever that was, that whole troop pull out. Uh, I think that was well. It was yeah, like so. The actual date where they pulled them out and thirteen people died, and yeah, then they answered with a drone strike on a car full of kids. That one, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that pullout um, is really what we supported. Everything went to IUD, and then went back to wherever all this equipment was going. Okay, um, yeah, and then all that. I didn't know that that was it was that recent. I th- I was thinking like when you went to Qatar, it was like it was before COVID. It was before all that stuff. Mm-mm, I left. Um, July of 2020, came back. Okay, so that was like the middle of everything. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that that pullout, you know, they were moving fighter jets everywhere, all the ammo was coming out of, uh, I think it was Iraq or Afghanistan, where we pulled out from, and then, you know, we just... Did you see any, like, refugees from Afghanistan come into there? Um, no, I think that mostly took place right after I left. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people. I know some people that were stuck on ships during all the COVID stuff. Yeah. Like they couldn't get off. They couldn't get in port. They'd be sitting at a port. Yeah. Couldn't get off the ship. Dude. And I can't even imagine how to deal with that crap. I'd be so pissed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you didn't have any delays getting out of country in Qatar to get home. No. Right when, right when we got in, uh. I believe we were in quarantine when it happened. The whole base went to lockdown. Um, you know, Ayudid, Qatar is right across the Persian Gulf of Iran. And uh, Iran launched a missile and blew up one of their own ships in the Persian Gulf. So it, it just sent everybody into lockdown for a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'd have been like, we're not locking anything. <laughs> That's fine. No. Uh, my favorite story was when the Iranian boat took over like a Navy boat. And like I held them hostage. Did you remember yes. that? Yep, I, I was that. like, you have got to be Ow. kidding me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. So back to Little Rock, same business, doing the job. Were you thinking about getting out after Qatar or were you thinking about re enlisting? Yeah. So I think I knew I wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got back from deployment, I had about a year left on my contract. Um, but during or right before, right before I had about two years left on my contract, I deployed and I actually, I knew I wanted to get out. I wasn't too sure, you know, what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a truck driver anymore. Um, and then while I was deployed, actually, uh, some guy gave me a book to read and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, you know, and, and at that time I was probably doing you know, investing uh, in stocks and stuff like that for about a year. Um, you know, I was all in. I was into that, you know, GameStop 
life and everything that was did you get some money off that i did so i had a buddy i had a buddy um just started to learn options i never messed with options um, i was just you know playing with stocks penny stocks because i didn't have much money into it and he's like dude you know gamestop he's like i'm going all in you should go online and i was like all right so i threw like forty five hundred dollars um into option calls at like 99 dollars of gamestop and then did you tell my sister you did that yeah, I did. She's actually so she doesn't she doesn't understand much of that. So I pretty much have free reign uh, on that business. It paid off. It paid off well. I was like, yeah. you know, I was like, shoot, this is so easy. And then you know, yeah, I got that hype going, and I ended up losing a lot of it. So what? I mean, was it just like being bored and like reading about it? Like, what got you into investing and in all that stuff to begin with? Um, so there's just a couple people home station, um, that, you know, we're into stocks, the penny stocks was super volatile, you know, you'd make a couple of bucks here or there. Yeah. It was cool. It interested me. I was like, man, you know, I'm making money, mm-hmm. not really doing much, just clicking some buttons. And then, yeah, when I got out there, I read the Robert Kiyosaki book and I was like, dude, there's like so much money to be made, you know, outside the stocks. There's so many investment vehicles. Um, so I kind of clicked something for me, I think, you know. You know, my mindset about money kind of changed. And then, um, yeah, I went really that when that dude's like, yo, just go all in. I was like, all right. And then, you know, seeing that oh, money man. grow from like, you know, 4,500 to 30 grand, I was like, shoot, this is pretty sweet. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's a good return. I had, uh, during that time, I had about two grand, I think, that I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do. That was like, that was during the COVID thing too. And, uh, I had, Started my business before COVID. Then the COVID lockdowns happened. I was trying to keep my business afloat during all that. And then the GameStop thing happened. Right. And I was like, okay, I have this money. Should I buy GameStop? <laughs> or do I buy food? <laughs> like, what do I do? And I chose food and I hate myself. Because when I would have bought, it would have got me like 200 grand. Dude. I was, oh, yeah, dude, so, I was so mad. So that dude that told me just to yellow everything into it. He turned his like twenty grand to like hundred and eighty. To see like to see yeah. that much money at that time, I was like, dude, like I never really bad them, you know, hundred and eighty grand yeah. sitting in somebody's account. Yeah, um, ninety grand is basically your entire year's salary in the Air Force. I felt pretty good, but then he showed me his hundred and eighty and I was like, dude, this kind of sucks. That's cool. Um yeah, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad book, I think is probably one of the most read books on finance for Sure. You know, um, there's principles in it that they just don't teach in school. Like, I don't know, did in high school, did you hear any of that? I took a personal finance class, but it was so bare bones. Like, yeah, no, I didn't have any class like that in school. And I think that's why it interested me so much is because I was like, yo, I don't think anybody really knows about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm, I like it. So I just kept kind of digging, especially into real estate. And nobody really told me right. about, you know, there can a lot of money be had, set you up for retirement in strictly real yeah. estate. And I think that's what I really grown to like. The, it's almost like the entire tax code is geared around what's happening in real estate. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, I would say now that I know, you know, in the career yeah. I'm working for, the tax code's so freaking huge. Yeah. Um, but you always see like these minor twists, you know, this change here, the increase for some reason, you know, increasing, um, the you know some some amount here and i i personally think it's really just the game of the big dogs the big politicians you know that have a little more influence with all this money and they mm-hmm. need a quick change real quick to get that tax break that's what yeah. i think you know 
There's got to be somebody. Yeah, that's, I mean, why would you make such a small little change on this one specific? Right, exactly. Why? Right. <laughs> so, like, you know how much work it takes to make those changes. <laughs> why that one? It's so dumb. Um, okay, so you got into that stuff, but were you still thinking about reenlisting and still just doing this on the side, or was it? No, I knew I knew I wanted to get out. So Air Force, it was kind of a newer thing. I think it's been around for a while, but it just started getting popular. It's it called the Skill Bridge Program. Yeah. So they actually let you out six months early to go intern somewhere. They'll keep paying you. You won't get paid by this internship, but you'll get paid by the Air Force. And uh, it's to help, you know, that transition between military to civilian life. Um, and I actually found that out, you know, on deployment too. So and I was doing all my research on that. And I knew I wanted to get out. I, I just didn't know really where um so when i got back from deployment um i knew i wanted to do skill bridge i knew i loved investing you know investments um never really thought about tax at that time never really crossed my mind and then that period when your mom got sick and we we came back here Mm -hmm. um i got offered a job by rarick financial group um it's kind of you know wasn't really expecting it yeah. I didn't know where it would go, but they're like, you know, we'd love to have you. Kind of here's a description of what we do here. And then he's like, just think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that was about, I think I was about a year. Yeah, because your mom went in about June, July. So I had a year left in my contract. And I, I knew I wanted to do the skill bridge and I knew it was a long process. So I started that when I got back from our time out here to spend with your mom. Um, you know, and I, I worked, I worked hard on getting this package written up. You know, this has got to be worded correctly on specific forms and formats. Um, and I, so I got this huge package and none of my leadership wasn't really helping me. He's like, I've never seen anybody do this. So like, why are you even trying to do this? And I was like, man, dude, you know, yeah, that, dude, gosh, I could go on and on about poor leadership, just not looking out for their, their troops. Yeah. Especially someone's looking to get out. Like, are you, how are you that heartless? Right. <laughs> do you seriously care about the military mission so much that you care about what they're going to do when they get out? It makes zero sense to me. I questioned that too. And then how many times I heard that I was stupid for getting out, losing free health care, mm-hmm. you know, losing all this. Dude, I heard it so many times. Yeah. You know, like our first commander, um, first sergeant. He was like, what do you think you're going to make a hundred grand in, in California? And he's like, that's what everyone thinks. And I was like, dude, like, dude, all those people, I'm immediately, I was like, well, now I know why you're still in the military. <laughs> they are probably too dumb to get out. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I was figuring out pretty much a skill bridge all on my own. And nobody was really helping me. Um, and then I had a younger airman. He wanted to do the same thing too. He, we were getting out about the same time. I think he was probably a, a couple months before he'd get out before me. Um, so like I submitted my stuff, you know, I got kicked back, had to make corrections. So I was helping him, you know what I mean? I'm not just going to kind of leave him stranded. Pretty much got it all figured out, gave it to my supervisor to submit, to go up the chain of command. And, and it sat on his desk for like a month and a half. And then, you know, like when I first put it on there, I heard talks that there's going to be changes. There's going to be changes. So like, dude, every day I was bugging him in his office. Like, yo, did you send my package? Did you send my package up? Did you send my package up? And he's like, no, I haven't got to it. No. So I sat for a month and a half and like, 
at that month and a half mark, they made a change to the SkillBridge program where it can only be DOD approved locations. And of course, Rarick Financial Group wasn't approved. So that got like thrown up. What the frick? Yeah. I would call up Rarick and be like, yo, you guys need to get this approved right now. So I did. I called him. I was like, you know, because we're talking uh, and I was like, I know what's happening. Like, yo, I might be able to be out there in January. Um, six months early for an internship. I think it'd be cool. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I call him and say like, hey, I, I don't think I can get this now. You have to be DOD approved. And he's like, well, how do I do it? And they have to like submit an essay to the DOD. Oh gosh. And you know, all that paperwork takes months to years anyways to process. So I was like, well, I don't think this is going to work. I was like, my thoughts now was try to find somewhere else to internship and I was like the job's still available yeah you know maybe I can just get some experience elsewhere here's what I think is dumb about that the budget for the military is already approved yeah. so whether they're gonna pay for you to go do this internship or they're gonna you're gonna stay in the military and keep getting paid by them it's the same money's still there so the fact that someone's standing in the way and saying no it's gonna be DOD approved it's like, what does it matter? <laughs> so, okay. So I was that way too. And then I see, you know, I didn't want to accept it, but I see why they did that. So I was in honor guard. That's like the first time I heard about skill bridge. Somebody was going to do it. And he's like, yo, my, you know, my brother works at like at a gas station and I'm just going to, okay. I'm just going to go intern at this gas station and get like six months and not do anything and get paid. I was like, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I see it. So I, but you know how easy it would be. It's like, yeah, you're going to a gas station versus you're going to an, like a investment firm, right. tax, like account. Like, come on, I know. Yeah, stupid. So it's pretty. And you're pretty, in a military town, which yeah. is right next to a base. So if they have to do something with that, and you're right here, I don't. Yeah, whatever. I was pretty burned about that. That's funny though. Um, so that doesn't get approved. So how much time is on your your enlistment or your contract still? So I I put it I probably put it on his desk around July August and then it sat through pretty much till September and then they made that change and I was like this is of 2019 this is of 2021 so I, yeah I would have actually oh, yeah. got out of June of 22 so I was like dang and and what I was reading is like you need to start you know a year and at least no less than 180 days before get any of your contract. I was like, 108 days? I was like, that's six months. I was like, by the time this is approved, I'm not even going to get six months out of it. Right. So I was pretty upset. You know, I, I started searching real hard on, I guess, DOD approved because that's all I could get. Um, and I actually found I, um, a company out here in 29 Palms. And they, they were like, their description was like a financial advisor, I guess. I didn't really know much about it. So I, I found them through LinkedIn. I submitted like a resume and application. And they were surprised. You know, they gave me a call back a couple of days later. It was like, this is what we do. You know, talk it over with your wife. Um, what they really did was like, they only work really with the military here. So the Marines at 29, obviously their biggest clientele. Uh, really what they did was just like financially plan and structure out you know, if they're in debt or if they mm-hmm. didn't use their money wisely, you'd kind of help them build, you know, this like template schedule that they could yeah, follow. Down. All the guys that are in debt from the casino out there. Exactly. Or buying chargers with 20% interest rates. <laughs> we'll take a guess though. No. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's cool, you know, financial planner. That sounds cool. 
And then he talked like, you know, you can set them up for like some type of retirement or investment thing. But how that worked is you just pass it off to another people and they kind of got them set up. Okay. Um, he, he kind of had me sold. I, I didn't know if I would want to stay there. I didn't know. That tell. one would have been the internship that would have worked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I put that all on the, on the packet. Um, I found them. It was approved and it was like around end of September, beginning of October. I finally had, you know, submit it to my supervisor. He said he felt bad. So he heard it up and submitted it this time, of course. And then, uh, yeah, it went up and then. It like got stopped somewhere and of course sitting on a desk and then uh, I got hit or the military got hit with the mandatory vaccine in October. Oh, a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah. Next part. What was it like with that whole thing from like, was it, hey, everybody's got to get this and then you just were like, I'm not getting that. Dude, and then yeah. just a shit storm. Just it was out. an absolute, it was so rough. So. I knew I didn't want to take it. You know, it was like, dude, like this vaccine came out in a couple months and I already heard of side effects happening that year. And, you know, uh, your mom, didn't, she didn't take the vaccine at the time, but I was just like, dang, like, you know, some people get the flu vaccine and they still end up getting the flu. I was like, it's yeah. It's at least like if this is like the, like the beta of a game. We got a new Call of Duty game comes out. We got the beta. Okay, we got to work some kinks out. At least let us like have some time to analyze this. So yeah, so they like boom, dropped the ball and said, uh, "You have until this date to get vaccinated." And I was like, "Crap!" So I filed a religious exemption. Um, That was like a week long process of meeting. You know, I first went to the commander. He interviewed me, told him, he's like, yo, it shows here that you took a flu shot. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, this vaccine opened it up. And I was like, I don't even think I want to take this flu shot anymore. I, I, I told the command, I was like, so if this goes through, I'll see you back next year for the flu shot. Following his religious exemption. He didn't really like that. He pretty much just told me to get out. Um, you know, and then I go see a chaplain and they take... I have all these questions. and A chaplain? Dude, I had to go talk to his chaplain. chaplain have to do with this? I, part of the religious exemption, I Dude, guess. It makes me want to punch people. Dude, yeah, so the chaplain. And then I went and had to get briefed by medical personnel about what happened if I didn't take this and asking these questions. And pretty much like I did, I asked a couple questions just to see what they say. But like, you know, I heard mm-hmm. that it could make you potentially sterile uh, heart attacks. And their answer was, well, there's not enough information. We can't really give an answer on that. But I was like, why are you making me take That's this? exactly my point. I mean, Right. So, so about a week's worth, you know, I finally get that submitted. And were there other people that were also did the same thing? I asked. So of our base specifically, I think we had about five to ten people submitting religious exemption. That's the only way you could get. Out. That's it. Yeah, five to ten on the whole base. On the whole base. So there's a lot of people, and they didn't. A lot of my coworkers, you know, they they didn't want it, but. They're like, I'm, I'm not, you know, any type of religious, so there's right. no way I can follow this. So they pretty much just had to suck it up and, and get it. And I think that's what most people did. Yeah. Because, you know, they were threat- they threatened the first thing. They were like, you're going to get, you know, DOJ'd or whatever. Or, um, oh, what's that called? Article 15. Uh, yeah. it'll, it'll start with an Article 15, and then you'll, you'll go higher from there if you refuse. Yeah, okay. So that right off the gate, you know, they're threatening everybody. With the potential punishment if you don't get it. Article 15 for the listeners is like military jargon for a, it's a certain level of punishment in the military. Um, 
but it's not typically like taking rank or pay or anything like that away. It's kind of like a a firm slap on the wrist. Yeah, as I could say. Like, which they said. So they're like, so like I don't remember the day exactly. It was like October fifteenth. They're like, if you don't get it this day, you'll get an Article fifteen by the next day. You have twenty four hours to take it again. If you don't, you'll get put up to the uh, what's after Article fifteen? What's that called? Um. Because I'm thinking it's probably like negative counseling. I think page eleven, Article fifteen, then like an NJP, NJP, that's what and then a, and then a court martial if you challenge it. So they said that you said three days it'll take and you'll get court martialed out. Yeah, uh, dishonorable discharge, no benefits. You know what's weird about that is that um, I remember. Well, this was a little bit before me, but I remember when there were people that were denying taking the anthrax vaccine. Mm-hmm. And they, they went through a similar deal. Really? But I felt like talking to people that went through that, that denied taking the anthrax, um, it wasn't as like heavily pushed. Like, I think it's a little weird that if someone says they don't want a, a vaccine, that you would punish them, take their pay. Right. It's a little weird. It is weird. Like, I know that you, you know, and the thing with vaccines is like, like I said before, average age of Marines, you know, this is probably somewhat across the board, is like 19 years old. When you're young, when you're joining the military and you're kind of like you're in those formations and everybody's lined up and you're at medical and they're like, lift your shirt up and then everybody just pumps you with all these needles. Yeah. You're just kind of going with the flow. Yeah. But you don't really, you're kind of naive just in general of the world. You don't really know what you can and can't do. You don't know what, you know, you probably got vaccines when you were kids. And so you're thinking that everything's fake, that everything is is okay, and that this is just another thing. Why would the government put something in your body that might not be good for you? Right. You know, like you're not really thinking about this. So when I hear people say something like, you got the flu vaccine, it's like, well, flu vaccine's been around for a long time. Right. It's a long, long time. So when you come out with this new thing, and I'm not quite sure I want to put that in my body, it's weird that you would tell people like we're going to punish you we're going to take your pay we're going to totally affect your life you're married yeah you know would it destroy it would have yeah it would have messed everything up you know so it's it's not like you're doing drugs in the barracks or like you're you know getting like i don't know you're just getting in trouble yeah like it's not it's totally different and uh so did you talk to any of the other like five to ten people on the base? Did you know any of them? So the one other person, uh, he was one of my airmen. Because I was a staff sergeant. I was E E five at E four at the time. Yeah, E four at the time. Um, he he, same thing. You know, he's a Christian. He didn't feel comfortable either. So you know, I, I helped him. I walked him through. You know, we're both submitting at the same time, and pretty much like you know, he had to go through the same thing I did, and it was new to both of us. You know, but one thing that like, you know, rattles me, especially, especially now you hear people like, oh, I don't want to be controlled by the government, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in the civilian world, this section of life, you know, they can have some control, but dude, I've never felt controlled over in that moment. Th- yeah. That time. It was like, yeah, it's different when you're in the military. You're not going to understand that unless you're, you've joined. Yeah. Like, yeah, it. And the pressure, the amount of pressure. I never had to go through anything like that where you have your entire command like against you. The entire Air Force is against you. Yeah. You know, for sure. You know, that's just, it's so crazy. Um, uh, and the one thing that like got me through that, uh, you know, of course, you know, Haley was there. 
you know, she kind of supported any decision I made. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was actually a mentorship under one of the pastors. Um, it was uh, Assemblies of God in Arkansas. And, you know, he, he helped me. He helped me write up this letter for my religious exemption. You know, Pastor Gerald, this, you know, JS here, they helped me write up this letter. Um, so I, I had like, you know, a decent letter, dude. Right. Like everything was like to the T. It explained every reason why I didn't want to take it. Yeah. Um, so we submitted it. And then about a week later, so it was a week past the deadline they did just because we we're under like investigation, I guess, for this religious right. exemption. Dude, denied all of them. Yeah. Every religious exemption except one mm-hmm. got denied. What month? What month was this? This. So this is the end. Like the middle to the end of October of 2020, of 2021, 2021. Yeah. So I'm COVID and all of this stuff has been going on for like a year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And we're still treating servicemen like we're going to punish them for not wanting something. Like we now have like a year of the vaccine being put out. And you're telling me the government doesn't know the side effects of this? You know what I'm saying? There's no way. Why is like, nobody hearing the side effects? Really? Exactly. Like that. That that's the thing that you know. I'm I'm all for people making their own decision. If you want to get a vaccine, if like your threshold of danger and skepticism is right here, but mine is up here. Yeah. And you decide to get it. I don't. Whatever. It's your it's your body. I don't care. But like to punish me for saying no. I mean, what happened to HIPAA laws? Right, dude. You know, like, it doesn't what, exist what are we talking about here? You know, you shouldn't even be able to ask them if they're vaccinated. Right. Like, what the heck's going on? So I know it is different with the military. It's it's a lot more strict, but um, did you have to get, a, like, an attorney outside of the military? Because I doubt that the Air Force was going to. Yeah, no. So there, I had, one, no time and no option to do that. So once it was denied, I think it was denied on a Thursday. Nope. I found out Friday morning. Um, I leave home. I leave to go home after work at four o'clock. And my supervisor called me and said, Hey, you have 24 hours to make a decision. You can get the vaccine, get punished or, uh, voluntarily separate. So I had, I had what's supposed to be 24 hours, but the base didn't really operate on the weekends because nobody was in. Uh, I had about 30 minutes to an hour to make the decision on what I wanted to do. Well, I mean, you were already trying to get out anyway, so right. But uh, so I guess is what the whole so now reason for this letter was. And I, you know, I had to piece through this all. Still, um, it, it was rough. You know, I'll, everyone except two people in my shop got it. So one, you know, we felt like I made me feel like outcasted. You know, everybody's kind of just watching me go through this mm-hmm. um, while they just kind of sit there. And then two, you know, I'm, I'm getting my hand forced by the government. I was like, well, shoot. I don't even have skill bridge. Yeah. You know what I mean? That never went through. Right. And I was like, dude, like, what am I going to do so when if I get you out? Do, yeah. If you do get out, like, what's going to happen? I'm in Arkansas, bro. You know, yeah. What's happening? So I had the button, said I voluntarily separate. They said, uh, pick a date within like this two month range. And I picked, like, I was like, I don't know. I was like, December 21st. Or I said January 21st, because I know I had some leave built up, mm-hmm. um, some time off. Just a random date. I called up um, RJ at Rarick Financial Group and I told my situation, said, hey, um, 
getting out. I was like, you know, jokes on you, supervisor. I'm still getting out six months early, <laughs> like, you know, like, like I was planning on. Yeah. And I got the job I, you know, was trying to get. Yeah. Um, do, but thankfully, you know, they worked with me. Um, you know, they, they hired me on. I started January 3rd. And then, yeah. And then, so it's been a, about a year since I've been working there. Yeah. You think you made the right choice? Dude, it felt perfectly. You know, I kept all my benefits. I didn't, didn't get put through the ringer. Yeah. I was worried about that when you're, when you're going through all that. Yeah. My sister's kind of keeping me updated a little bit. I was worried that they were going to, they were going to do that. They were going to mess with benefits. They were going to dishonorably discharge you. They were, I was worried about that. Yeah. And, but, you know, I, I don't know if she, relayed the message, the message to you, or maybe I, maybe I told you, but I said, you know, if you're already planning on getting out, you're going to have to go through that transition phase anyways. Right. And you're a pretty intelligent dude. Like, I know you got a good heart. You're motivated to like actually do well for yourself and for my sister and stuff. So I was like, you're going to be fine. Right. It might suck. And this is a really weird way to get out of the military, but you're going to be okay. Yeah. So, Even if you got dishonorable, it's like, whatever, man, just go do you. I guess, but everybody yeah. tells you, you know, like your life's over if you get dishonorable. Yeah. Whatever. Their life's Which, over right now. That's why they're so <laughs> miserable. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So like I hit that button beginning of November and with my leave, you know, I had like 45 days of leave saved up. Um, I knew I wanted to get home before Christmas. So that, that put me leaving like December 21st or December 18th, I think is when we actually left. Mm -hmm. But like, it was so quick and I'll try to grasp it. Usually people have about six months to transition out and I had three weeks. You know what I mean? I was just getting rushed through everything. You know, I had to sit through this class right away. You know, the they call it the TAPS class. Yep. Um, just threw so much information at me. Um, instantly just like got rid of everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I get, you know, I got rushed out. It was supposed to take six months, took three weeks. Um, didn't have any help filing, you know, my disability that I wanted to file. No guidance on that. All I knew is, you know, I just left you out to dry. Dude, exactly. All I knew is I had a place to go to work and then, you know, a place to live. So I'm still convinced because it took you like a year to get your furniture from Little Rock to California. Dude, I'm still convinced that they are messing with you. Dude, dude. <laughs> dude that's stupid. Yeah. It could, have been, it could have been worse, but it was pretty rough. Yeah. It, was pretty rough. it kind of worked out because you didn't really have like place to put it at the time. It did work out, yeah. But, dude, I was like, man. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you're out. I'm out. You start working at uh, at Rarick's. Yes. What is the like their actual name? Rarick Financial Group. Rarick Financial Group, yeah. okay. Um, you start working there. Starting a new life. What's that like? Dude, so he asked me what I wanted to do. He told me everything they do. So uh, where I work, we do uh, company bookkeeping. So we put together all their financials. Um, we do taxes, of course. They have the investment side um, set up like brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, stuff like that. And then we do payroll. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And I, and I told them like, you know, I knew I wanted this for the experience um, after reading everything. Um, I think this was a great way to see how everything works. Didn't know anything about taxes. Um, so I told them I wanted to do as much as I could. And that's exactly what they did. They threw me just about every spot, except I'd say payroll is, is the only spot I don't know. Um, so I started off. So this is, this isn't January. This is like 
the pickup for tax season. So that four months is just absolutely crazy. And uh started me off right away with bookkeeping. Um, you know, it's helping with like administrative stuff, putting together tax returns to see how, you know, what they look like, the order they go in, um, to like mail off and stuff like that. Um, I was just answering phone. So that, so they were just giving me, you know, the gist of everything, exposure. It's the, the internship that you were supposed to get. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um, so yeah, I, I started that, um, in November, back up a couple of months when, when they said, yeah, we'll still hire you. I used to have to get your CTEC license, which is allowing me to file tax returns in the state of California. Um, so I had that thankfully before I got there. Um, so I was learning everything as much as I can in January. And then I uh, was pretty much, you know, thrown into it. They taught us as much as I can. Um, but I started doing tax returns, you know, February, March. Okay. Was the, uh, the certification to, to start filing taxes and stuff, was that a, that was a test or was it just a yeah, for it? I think it was a four piece test. You think it would be a hard test? Mm-hmm. Anybody can do it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but anybody can do this and, and be able to file tax returns. That's good. You know, I guess. Yeah. I guess, good. but you know, is that like legit file tax returns? California only. Okay. So you can't do other states, but, but still like, but legit. California. Yeah. That's great. A tax return if you have the software. Where do people go to do that if they were wanting to get into that? Uh, so there's multiple websites that you can qualify through. Um, mine was like, uh, Golden State Tax or something like that. Okay. Just a website. Yeah. You just, it's called the CTEC license. I just type that in. They're like, this is the CTA. CTEC. CTEC. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So start doing that. Moving up yeah. in the world. Yeah. I tested that. Um, I knew I wanted to get into the investment side. So that's a, he told me that's going to be a three part test. Um, so I started studying for my first part of that, you know, in the midst of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the SIE test. It's literally just like a general exam. So then you can take the other test, I guess, which is it's almost the same information. It's just not as deep, I guess. It just covers the basics. Um, so yeah, I started, started doing tax returns, studying for this test. Um, took the test. Unfortunately, not failed it this time, which, dude, that was... So a military test, dude, yeah. can't compare to this. Yeah. And the C-Tech, that's what I was expecting. You know, that was like, oh, this is easy. This test yeah. thing is yeah, super no, easy. Dude, it was rough. So yeah. had to wait a month to take it again, passed it. And then um, the next set test was, it's called the Series 7. So there's actually multiple you can get. There's so many. Um, the two that I would need, one of the two, um, just to do what we do at Rec Financial Group is either the Series 6 or the Series 7. And pretty much the difference between the two, a Series 6, you can only like um, purchase and sell mutual funds and like annuities and stuff like that if you get your insurance license with it. Um, but I was like, I want to sell everything, you know, I want to expose to it all. And, uh, you know, with the guidance of my bosses, I went for the Series 7. I was like... Three and a half months, three months of studying. That was a huge test. Um, yeah, that, that was a huge test, really hard. Pretty much the same stuff that was on the SAE. Um, just went r- real deeper. Covered every investment vehicle that there is out there. And, right. Um, and like, you know, it had math in it, which was great. I love math. So 
Um, took that, passed that the first time. Um, and then there's one more test. Uh, you can get the series 65 or series 66, which is really just a state test almost. It's, it's so you can um, do business in a state. It, you then are considered an investment advisor after you pass this one. Um, so I just took that actually last month. It was way harder than I thought. Unfortunately, failed it again uh, the first time. So I take that um, sometime this month. Okay. Um, and then once I pass that, hopefully before tax season, I am officially a financial advisor and financial or investment advisor, and I can I can do business investment. And that's when you can start and in, like investing other people's money for them. Exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. They have that like division in that office. Like before you got there, did they make that for you? Yeah. No. So they had that. Um, it was started a while ago and then the business was just bought out by the previous owner's son mm -hmm. um, and everyone else that was doing it unfortunately left. So when I got there, it was just him doing that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right on. Um, now I know you've said that you've had, you have many clients that are in other States and stuff. Do you have to get certified in each state that you do business in or is it? No. So uh, in our office, um, they're called enrolled agents. So we kind of follow, fall under their umbrella. Um, super similar to a CPA. The only difference is enrolled agents can represent any taxpayer or entity uh, nationwide. So while a CPA is almost like state specific. Okay. Gotcha. So we kind of follow under their umbrella. Um, so then, you know, if there's ever any audits or any questions, they kind of step mm -hmm. in for us at that point. What does it look like um, when you're trying to find a client? Is it all word of mouth or is it? Yeah. So pretty interesting. Um, you know, they've been established for many years now. Um, so they already they're, have, a, they're a family run business. Yeah. that has been around, passed down yeah. for generations. Yeah. Yeah. So like I showed up and, you know, we have, you know, a few thousand. Yeah, there's a lot of clients, you know right. what I mean? So, so I, I walked into that a lot. Um, but when I talked to them and like, yo, how did you guys get this? And yeah, they said, it's just word of mouth. You know, we have a website, but they don't really push any like advertisement out really. It's really just word of mouth. And I would say community involvement. Um, Rick Financial Group sponsors a lot of stuff in the community, uh, which I think is huge. Um, right. That yeah. huge publicity. Billboards at uh, baseball fields and parades. Yeah, and kind of. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, like here... I was part of it. You know, there's like a golf tournament and you know, Rarick Financial Group was one of the big sponsors, you know, and then okay. they get their name shouted out, you know, awards town just because they're involved in town. They get awards from it. Um, yeah, I think community involvement, huge publicity. Yeah. And you're not really, you know, you're supporting community stuff, but you're not just paying like an advertising company, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do uh, I mean... Is there a certain point where there's too many clients and like they are forced to grow, like get another one of you? Yeah. So I think, I think they were about at that point and that's why they hired myself and okay. another guy. Um, yeah. But like when I walked into it, you know, I would have like a client once a week, maybe that, if that, uh, so I was just like slowly building my clientele, but you know, I see everybody else and, Swamped, dude. Like from <laughs> seven in the morning to six o'clock at night, just hour hour long appointments, and they're booked up the whole tax season right. within like the first month. Okay, 
Yeah. So there's potential and, you know, this town's growing. There's not many people that do what we do here, um, which makes us like a great opportunity for this business to thrive. And I think, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think with a lot of stuff that's happening out here, you know, H and R block, it's one of the few people that do taxes here and they just closed down. So didn't they really? Yeah. They just closed business here. So I think, you know, we're going to see a huge influx of business, wow, which they got two, you know, two more hands, mm-hmm. two sets of hands on, on tax returns, which would help. I think yeah. it's very much needed. Do you see a, uh, I mean, I know you haven't been in it for like a crazy amount of time, but do you see like people's access to like TurboTax and stuff like that cutting into what you guys, like your clientele, so you, you believe for so TurboTax? You think that, but yeah, I can't tell you how many clients I had that was like, when you file an amended return, this is my TurboTax and I messed up. You know what I mean? Or they're getting a letter from the IRS saying this is wrong right. and they try to file it themselves. Um, I think TurboTax is a great tool, I guess, especially, you know, if your tax return is, is simple and you don't need to pay somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, especially in the spot we are, it's not, it's more than just individual tax returns that we do. And there's no way you can file, you know, a, a corporation tax return on TurboTax. I don't think they allow that. I'm trying to think what I did. I have an LLC, but I'm, I want to say that there was an option to do like C Corp or S Corp and then kind of do it. But uh, I'm all, I always feel weird. Like last year I used TurboTax yeah. for the simple reason that like, you know, I was dealing with the whole COVID thing and I wasn't really making any income. It was like, I didn't have a job per se. And so it was like, I, I think I can do this year's taxes. Sure. Like yeah. I'll just go on TurboTax. But what, what always got me was, um, for a while there, I was using like a CPA to do it in Nevada. Yeah. And I would always get more on a refund using TurboTax than I did going to a person. Really? Yeah. So I was like, because I don't know anything about taxes and how it all works. So I'm, you know, expecting the CPA to get me more money. You're not charging me. They charged me like a hundred bucks to do the service. But I was like, why, why are you getting me less than this like automated computer system? Okay, so like for me, for instance, and when I'm doing somebody's tax return and seeing somebody do tax returns on a turbo tax return that I looked over, they're using rounded numbers, definitely not their true expense. Um, it's literally just like screaming for an audit. Okay. Um, so a lot of that time, you know, these, these people would put in, you know, if they have like a $500 deduction or $750, they just round it up to 1000 You know what I mean? So they're they're really... Forging, I guess, putting these fake numbers out there, you know what I mean? Right, and and yeah. that, that's what could potentially create them a larger refund. Does the IRS worry about, I mean, like most people are probably in a income threshold that's like super low, relatively speaking, right? versus a business or something. Do people at that low a level actually get looked at by the IRS or they kind of, whatever, that's too much, that's, that's too little of money. So from the year I've been there... Um, they hired the 80,000 IRS agents. So I don't think we've had too many individual returns, probably a couple and a couple um, corporate tax returns um, being audited. I, I would say, I would say yes, that it, you, I would say just as great as percentage, just in the sense of that's like 
one, the IRS agent doesn't have to look so deep into a company's financials. You know what I mean? They have to figure out the numbers themselves and see if they match up. Mm-hmm. You know, usually it's like, prove you have a kid. Um, there's a lot of, quite a few letters I had. Prove you had this kid that you got this child tax from. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily like an audit as you think like these IRS agents coming up in here. Like and Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's not really that. It's just a letter saying, prove this or you're losing this, this credit. Is pretty much how it is. It's it's, it's easy, um, just like the stimulus checks um, that we received mm-hmm. in twenty one. Yeah, TurboTax um, would ask, "Did you get it? Did you not get it?" Exactly. And if you write no, it's instantly ran through a system to see if you had it or not. Okay. So it, it's just like I think it's stuff like that. I, mm-hmm. I I don't know if they handpick individuals out. I'm not really sure, uh, but I think you have just as great as a chance of getting audited. Mm. How does it look with California? Because it seems like. Like clockwork, do you like to give you guys stimulus money? It's is it a pain on your end, or is it kind of just like well, that money's not really taxed anyway? So. It can be. Um, like the stimulus check last, it it wasn't too hard, except in the sense of is you know is my client telling the truth if he actually got it? Because what's going to happen is if he says no, he's going to get a letter. They'll deduct that from whatever he was supposed to get. You know, if he was supposed to get, I think what was it like eighteen hundred bucks or whatever that stimulus was. Yeah, something like that. Fourteen hundred. Yeah, so they yeah. automatically, before they even shoot your refund out, they they would deduct that if you got that already. Uh, okay. So then these people are like, "Oh, what the heck?" Like, I owe six hundred dollars to yeah, California. I didn't get it. So yeah. not really. It's not really that isn't necessarily a mm-hmm. California thing. That's an IRS, but there's a lot of California credits that you can take. You just have to be aware of them, where you just won't take them. Right, which you're not going to get if you're on TurboTax. You'd have to go talk to. A- yeah, I mean, like, did I ask you if you put solar panels? I would hope they put that on your ta- TurboTax questionnaire. I don't remember if they had that on there. Yeah. Is, you well, know, in it's, California, it's is it a is it a write-off? Like, you get a, oh, a rebate or something I think like that's that? just for IRS okay. federally. Um, but I think California offers... Some type of EV credit. Ah, there's so many, yeah, like, so many you know what I mean? Things. And it's hard. So like we, us employees, we get like this book and it's all the tax law, but it's just federally. And that's still, you know, 300 pages long. And that's just the federal. We don't really get much of like a California or state. Mm-hmm. And I get it just simply because we have mostly California clients, but we have all over the country. So it's like, I'm not going to have know, 50 books of each tax state law um, just sitting there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there, there's so many credits that I, I still don't even know about it, you know, and that can make a huge difference on somebody's tax return. My next question was in, in terms of like all of the PPP loans and the idle loans and all that stuff that they did during all COVID relief. Yeah. How has that like affected what you did. I was scared to to apply for PPP and all that stuff because they were saying it was forgivable, but I was like, is it really? What yeah, there, like? there's certain qualifications. Um, so I'm not at the point where, you know, I'm not doing corporate tax returns yet. So, okay. you know, my information on all of this isn't, isn't deep yet, but listening to everybody else that I work with, uh, it, it can get really complicated. Um, the requirements giving that loan uh, forgiven. Uh, you could get it forgiven. Um, and most people did. 
not met those requirements, but being able to like keep track of it on your tax return properly, show it, you know, you had to have properly shown your PPP loan um, is a big part. So you have all these people coming in, these new clients or new companies uh, moving in here that want, you know, us to do their tax return now. And you have to like, you just have to bring up that information, I guess, to get it accurately depicted on this tax return. Um, but yeah, there was multiple people that got it forgiven, but you know, we saw a couple too that shouldn't have got it forgiven. And it's, it's a, it's a hit or miss game. Um, you know, if the IRS will catch it or not, uh, but, um, you know, we do, we, we do everything by the book. So yeah. So they would then eventually just pay back everything pretty much. It's, it's a pretty big mess. Yeah. I, I knew it had to have been complicated because that came out quick too. Yeah. It was like, Hey, look, look at all this money we just printed, you know? And then exactly. you're hearing all these businesses that aren't even getting the money. And there's all this money still tied up that people haven't even received. It's still in the, I guess a bank account somewhere that right. says we have this COVID relief money that no one's tapped yet. And what a lot of people don't realize too is um, some States. So that was IRS or federally forgiven. A lot of states didn't recognize that as forgiven. So that was still included mm -hmm. as income. Um, so like, for instance, this $10,000 um, school loan forgiveness that Biden put out. Yeah, it's forgiven federally. You'll get that $10,000 credit, but that $10,000 credit will be taxed as income on your state return here in California. Because of income tax. Yeah. It, so that's like look, getting a $10,000 check. Yeah. Exactly. They'll look at that as $10,000. California and other states. What do you think about now that you are more aware of taxes and the tax code, how it's laid out and stuff? What do you think about a lot of the, the taxes? Do you think a lot of them are necessary? So I, I kind of have, I don't know, maybe more odd opinion than most people think. Um, but really, you know, you come across these tax returns that aren't truthful. You know, the, the numbers are fudged a little bit. So, and that's, a, and I'm not talking about just a few people, you know, that's a lot, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's especially at bigger companies. Like on purpose or is it just being naive? It could be a purpose. I, I really don't know. It, yeah. It could literally be anything, but I think like we have all this huge, big tax code because the, you know, us people are not paying the correct taxes that we're supposed to be because, you know, of these faulty tax returns. You know, they're skipping out on some of these taxes that must be paid. And us people who really do pay these taxes are then skipping out on it. You know what I mean? So people that are paid by 1099s, you know, it's not a W-2 and it's not always reported uh, to the IRS. So whether or not they put this 1099 on, on their tax return is is up to them. You know, that, that can just be wiped out completely. And then which 1099, 1099 is like a contractor or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So be paid to contractors that aren't Uber drivers and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and there's no taxes withhold on 1099. So somebody could get, you know, whatever they don't want to report on their tax return off this 1099 or this cash, they're not paying taxes on it. So everyone that's stuck paying taxes are the people that are actually paying taxes on it. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think we have 
all this law here, you know, this huge tax law, simply because they're they're trying to weed out the people that are doing that, and they have to get the tax money somehow. Hmm. Yeah, because I look at state. I live in Texas now that has no state income tax. Right. Lived in Nevada, no state income tax. Um, and you hear a lot of people talk about the benefits of a place that has no income tax. But all that means is that they get that money from the other taxes, property tax, sales tax. Exactly. I heard Texas you know. has one of the highest property taxes in the country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sales tax near Dallas, it's like 8.25%. You know, that's how California rates do. Yeah. Yeah. I told, uh, I think I told you that on this last hunting trip I did up to Montana, I was buying all the gear and stuff. I had to buy my rifle for it. I was going balls out and I got like a super dope, expensive rifle with the scope <laughs> and everything on it. Yeah. Just the rifle. In sales tax, it was four hundred dollars just in sales tax on it. That's and I was like, bro. I'm so mad. I'm like, dude, Texas ain't all that great right. when it comes to at least finances. Did I make up for that in the fact that our gas prices are just over two dollars <laughs> or like four fifty or something? Maybe. Maybe. But um I'm I'm always curious about how being a tax, like a, an accountant or someone that does, deals with taxes and knows how the system works, how it's played, if you guys get a say, I guess, or if there's any lobbyists or anything in Washington that talk about, hey, this this part of the tax code doesn't work. I mean, you talked about maybe, you know, it's it's game or maybe it's politicians trying to tweak it or something like that. But are there elements of the tax code, at least here, maybe in California, that like, we need to get rid of that. It's not working. Um, to say it's not working, I don't know if I could say there's not really a tax law not working because everything in place is working, but there's always those loopholes, I guess, you know, with like, even in the military, you can find these loopholes around certain you know, regulations, this and that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with tax law, you know, you're looking for these, there's a, there's a lot of gray areas within the tax law, which mm-hmm. could it be this or it could be that way. And it, you kind of just have to make, you know, an educated judgment where you want to place that. Um. But yeah, like you'll you'll see, we didn't have anything crazy this year. Um, but from hearing what other people experience, like they they changed the law like two months into tax season, and they pretty much have to amend everything that they submitted because it affects everything. About that timing, right? Right. <laughs> no. yeah, so, it sounds like a politician just got their taxes done and it wasn't right, and they're like, "Nope, we got to change." Exactly. So you know. Stuff like that, I think. I think they're on top of it. I, I would say, um, but you know how, how I look at it. Really, it's just, it's almost just like a, a big game. You know, you just have to play their game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's, I, I think, I think there's too big of a tax law right now. I don't think it's all necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I know that the thing that bugs me is when when people use they want to use taxes as like a punishment towards someone or a certain company. Right. Where like they'll look at Amazon and be like, they didn't pay any taxes. And they're like, they need to pay this much tax or they're someone that's just rich. They're wealthy and they have millions of dollars and all the poor people in the country are like, they need to pay taxes almost as a punishment for making money. Right. What do you, what is your take on that? I mean, so you have to think that you may, 
you might think that they need to pay more taxes, but whatever tax they're paying is still more than any of us would ever pay in our lifetime. You know what I mean? Like, like Donald Trump, for example, that, Mm -hmm. you know, that dude pays a lot of taxes, but with these loopholes or gray areas and, and starting to figure out how this works, you, you can see how other things can play a part into it or, or be like, you know, a huge deduction for it. You know, like golf courses, for example, a lot of golf courses, you know, they don't, they don't make a lot of profit, if any, mm-hmm. but they're used simply as almost like a deduction to offset taxable income. Is that why they're always doing like parity like rounds and stuff like that? They're always doing like, uh, yeah, you, you know, pretty much. Like, it's just to funnel, uh, like, yeah, to okay. offset their really tax only because they're not having to pay as much. Right. You know, you, you think about it, the pain. I think the highest tax bracket is 37%, 36%. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. It, yeah that's big. Just imagine you only make what I think 17 an hour is like 24,000 a year or something like that. Yeah. I think so. Somewhere, somewhere around there. Imagine getting taxed almost 50% right. off of that. Exactly. I'd be so pissed. I'd be so mad. I just, I, it, it bugs me when people do that. Now, not everybody has access to like a whole team of tax attorneys and like people that can just nitpick every little ounce of the tax code and get this, this like the really wealthy or the giant corporations basically paying no tax. Right. Regular people don't have access to that. So I kind of sympathize with them whenever they're like, this is a little unfair. But you guys basically do the same thing. Why would people not go to a tax professional? A lot of people, why people are turned away is is simply because of cost, Mm -hmm. which here I would say we're probably one of the lowest, you know, fee-based tax company around here. Um. But, that, but that's really it. But I mean, like sometimes, you know, the, these tax returns that just have like one W-2, it's just one person, they have a W-2, but that's simple, you know yeah. what I mean? Like why pay, you know, like a starting fee of whatever it is, you know, about a hundred bucks, 200 bucks uh, to, for them to follow that when you can yeah. just do it yourself on TurboTax. Um, but when it starts getting complicated in places, you know, like here with Airbnbs and oh yeah, Schedule Cs and they're stuff. doing like arbitrage in Airbnbs. Exactly, they don't actually own the property, but they're working with the actual owner of the property, and then they're renting it out. Yeah, right. That, and so then that gets kind of messy. And I think what I've seen too, there's a lot of expenses that people can take that they just don't really realize it. And when you go to somewhere like us, you know, I mean, we're used to seeing this, and it's mostly the same. Um, there's usually different expenses with each one, but you're used to asking these questions that they don't really think about. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's why I would say people when, would come to us and, um, and really it's easy. Mm-hmm. It's way easier. You just drop your documents off pretty much. You know, I usually yeah. like to sit, you know, we sit with our clients and meet them. Um, and then you're done. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't discount the importance of the the human interaction and building a relationship with your, like your tax. For sure. You know, for sure. And one thing too is, you know, since we do the investment side, I never really thought like, you know, in the military, when I was asked a traditional IRA, um, it's tax free money. TS for savings plans. Yeah. You put in untaxed money and then all of it gets taxed when you pull it out. Yeah. I was like, yo, why would anybody 
ever want to do that. But I feel like taxes and investments, they go so hand in hand that you can find more deductions than you you know. So a lot of these people, you know, they can come in and you have until April 15th to, to take a IRA contribution, which you can't take a Roth IRA, but you take a uh, traditional IRA. And now yeah. it makes sense on, you know, people making a couple hundred grand or a hundred grand that, you know, six grand, that, that does make a pretty big difference taking that off your taxable income. Um, so, you know, when you come to somebody like us that does both, dude, we can set you up on the spot, set you up a traditional right. IRA, you can contribute to it and boom, your, mm-hmm. your taxable deductions down. Do you guys have like, uh, I don't know, like, like wealth planners or like someone who's like, this is my goal. I got taxes this year I got to do, but then I want to start a business and then, you know, I want to do this for my retirement. And then we just had a kid. Is it usually like a full package deal? Uh, there's some, it's kind of rare to have, it's for us to offer that service. There's, there's so many cert- certifications you you need for that to kind of like wealth manage. Okay. Um, the route that we're going now with the investment side, we can start, you know, looking at the bigger picture and things and, and setting up a, a, a wealth management, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. um, for that though. But, but yeah, I would say there is, it's not, I don't think we get as much clients as you think because there's not a lot of people that think like that. Okay. You know, these people come in, they're like, I'm going to start S Corp because I want to start painting houses. You know what I mean? And it's like, do they know anything about an S Corp? No. Mm-hmm. Do they know everything that comes with the S Corp? No. What, have to, what you have to do to keep up with an S Corp? No. They just want to create one. So that's what we do for them. And then come tax season, it, it's, it's a mess. You know right. I mean? Yeah. They're just piecing it together. Yeah. It's kind of what I felt like I was doing for a while. So I kind of backed off. I just hit the brakes. and was like, I got to figure out how to structure this. Right. And that's the thing though, too, is most people, you know, creating a corporation is, is good for, you know, liability issues and, and stuff like that. But the fees that come with it, especially here in California, you know, that's, they're pretty big fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to do certain things like file a statement of information every two years and nobody knows about that. And it's only like 25 bucks to file it. But if you're late and they catch it, it's $250 fee per person on the board. That's a memo. Yeah. So like it can get, you can get hit with pretty big fees. Um, so like just from my time being here, like, you know, like why not? Throw it on a Schedule C. You'd be a sole proprietor. That's totally fine. You get the same deductions yeah. as you would on a S corp. And then I think it's once every like once per person in a lifetime you can file for an EIN. So if you you know shoot 1099s to these contractors you hired, your social's not all up in it, and you still kind of have that safer mm-hmm. thing, not having your your social on it, which is almost the same, you know, it's, it's equivalent, but just not so much fees taken and yeah. maintenance. So maybe go kind of go back a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe briefly explain what is the difference between sole proprietor versus LLC versus. So a sole proprietor is operating under their name. Um, it goes on, it's attached to a individual tax returns called a schedule C. Um, it's just, it's almost like, Almost like a hobby if you're making money, pretty much. Kind of. Hobby is kind of a bad term to use that. Um, Like someone who's like a photographer or like makes art or something. Yeah. Like something like that. Yeah. And if they're not incorporated, 
Um, then they throw it all onto a schedule C, which uh, separates everything, their deductions. So you mm-hmm. put, you know, it's just like, just like a company within the individual tax return in the sense. Okay. What is the, are there risks with just being a sole proprietor? No. So like, like, like a corporation, I, I think you're, you're uh, taxed a little better than you would be taxed as a C corp. Um, simply because a C corp, you're taxed on like every dollar you make. Um, here, you know, on schedule C, you, you know, everything comes into play, standard deduction, all these deductions come to play. You do get tax, you know, um, social security tax and all that that's normally taxed, uh, which would actually benefit somebody, um, for retirement. Uh, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about social security being around, you know, in the years to come. Um, but you, you still, yeah, I don't think it's going to be around. It's not even really around right now. Yeah, it, but it is around, you know what I mean? And that little income could potentially help, you know, in the years um, yeah. when you retire. But if you're not, you know, paying this social security tax on it, you're not going to have, you're going to have little to nothing paid out to you. Right. Yeah. So a lot of these, you know, these people can show huge losses on their corporations, like on an S-Corp, then it's passed down to K-1 showing the loss. Then they're not really paying social security tax. They're not building anything up. Or down the road, if that kind of makes sense. Okay. So, because um, I I had started an LLC when I was doing my videography, photography thing. Right. Um, because someone in that space was saying you should get an LLC. Um, in the sense of like, you got to protect your business mm-hmm. with an LLC. There's more anonymity with it versus a sole proprietor because that's basically your name or social security number attached to it. Um, but the nature of the business, it seemed like it would have just been better to do sole proprietor instead of having this LLC where I'm paying a fee every year. Exactly. So the the only thing, the only argument that I heard for getting an LLC in that space was like, if you were flying a drone commercially to make money, something happens, it falls on someone's car or it like damages someone's house or whatever. Exactly. That that the LLC would separate you from the company, like you personally from the company. Is that true or is it kind of like, yeah, no, that's true. Um, usually it's true. Uh, yeah. So like if your company were to get sued, cause that's who technically would own the drone. Mm-hmm. You're just working for the company. They can only go for the company's assets. They can't go for your assets. Okay. Specifically. Do you have to, if you're an LLC, say you buy something, I don't know, like a, pack of batteries or something at Walmart. Right. You have to parse it out where you can't buy it for the company and use it for the company, but you bought it with your personal like debit card or personal credit card, and then you're using it for the business? Or do you have to have a separate account set up for the business to buy everything for the business that's being used for business? Huge problem. So this is where it gets super fishy, uh, tricky, fishy doing this tax return is, is, yeah, you can use it on your personal um Card and then give it to the uh, the company, but that's technically a like loan to yourself that the company loaned you money to buy that that card. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. so you know doing bookkeeping, I see I see both sides of that. I see people that structure and, and separate their company and personal assets really easy, and it makes everything look so clean. It's easy to do. You know, it's easier for the tax return or the tax preparer to follow the tax return and complete it because you're not having to scrub through these 
bank accounts, you know, um, and seeing, you know, what was personal use, what wasn't. Line by line. having a- Exactly. Yeah. So separating the two accounts makes a huge difference. And especially in an audit, you know, that's that's like, that doesn't even look good if you're commingling accounts on right. your personal uh, with your business. Yeah. So now what if, what if say you have a business credit card and so you're buying stuff for the business for the business credit card, but you don't have enough income coming in on the business. And so you're using your personal funds to move it over to pay off that business credit card. Is so the same thing, the same thing. So pretty much just, you have to show it almost as like a loan to the company and that loan has to get paid back by the shareholder or vice versa. So that shareholder is paying off the company's credit card. So, that's almost a loan or, or you can sometimes count it as a contribution um, by the shareholder. So after the company makes that money back that was placed on the credit card, that company then has to transfer that same amount of money back over to the With, debit card, that, like the personal debit card of somebody else. To that person. To that person. No, with interest. Back with interest. Yeah. How do you know what the interest is? It, that's pretty much on some a scenario like that where it's kind of weird. It, it can be anything. Okay. Um, I've not, I haven't seen the audit yet that looks specifically into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, to be able to prove something like that, you obviously would have to create like an amortization schedule yeah. like that. So you never seen anybody like accidentally do money laundering? <laughs> accidentally do money <laughs> Like they didn't know that they were doing that. They were just like, well, I'm just moving money back and forth. And I, I guess, I mean... Yeah. When you when you get to commingling so bad, it's it's really hard to accurately depict that on a tax return. And when you're talking about corporate tax returns, there's so many like different factors. You, you know, you have your contributions, you have loans to shareholders, you have you know bases inside and outside bases that get so complicated. And then when you're commingling that, it's it, it's almost right. like a guess almost. Is that where um, I think it's called a Schedule K? Is that where that comes into play? The K-1? Or K-1, yeah. So K-1s um, are for pass-through entities. So okay. when you're talking about corporations, there's there's a few types of corporations. So you have like your basic C-corp, and that's corporation is getting taxed as an entity. Then you have something like an S-corp, which is just a pass-through. So you file a return for the S-corp, but you're not paying any taxes on that entity. What it's doing is any profit or loss is then being distributed in uh, given to each shareholder. So that K1 will be put onto that shareholder's individual tax return. That's how it's shown. So there has to be multiple people, multiple players within that, or that can that be one person? It can be one person. So what it would do is you you follow this S Corp tax return and you pick out a K1 for that one Off shareholder. Of LLC? Yeah. So that's okay. As yeah. LLC filed as an S Corp. Yeah. It's complicated. It is, dude. It's complicated. I've been here one year. I haven't, you know, I, I've kind of dabbled. I've helped out with like partnerships. I've, mm-hmm. I've looked at corporation tax returns and dude, it can get intense really quick. Yeah. Um, so my, my goal is hopefully, you know, coming up this next year, I'll start diving into those a little bit. Yeah. Um, cause especially here, I mean, everybody, everybody wants to start a corp, you know, right. that, that's, that's cool. Um, and yeah. it's good for business. Is that good for the Airbnb model that's going crazy out here? Uh, yeah and no. So here in San Bernardino, I believe 
you're limited to two Airbnbs per corporation. So you can't own more than two Airbnbs in a corporation. In San Bernardino County. Yeah. Um, is that a new thing that they came yeah, up with? That's yeah. an interesting. It is pretty interesting because, especially like Yucca Valley. Yeah, it's got to be San Bernardino. Yucca Valley um, limited the amount of Airbnb permits they give out. Yeah. So, you know, I, if, I, I don't remember what the number is. Uh, for instance, say if it's like 800, or 800 Airbnbs, you know, like that's a max here. Um, the only way you can... Like in the area, that's the max that could ever... In, in Yucca Valley. Oh, wow, you're okay. in Yucca Valley limits. Which they're like there's already a behind that. that. Like we were already there. Yeah, I think we're close. Yeah, that. we're basically already Which there. then they, they changed a little bit here in you know Yucca Valley specifically. If you buy an Airbnb and they have a permit for it, you can assume that permit so that you don't have to go. Oh, okay. So there is... I had heard something about, I think it was VRBO. I paid like the town of 29 Palms, like some amount of money to allow a certain amount of VRBOs out there. I, I, I heard there was something. I don't know if that's true or not. That could be true because there's so many Airbnbs out here yeah. right now. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. I know it's all kind of moved outside of Yucca and Joshua Tree. It's starting to move out into like the surrounding areas, Landers, Johnson Valley. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they limit that. Yeah. But, you know, looking at it from a Real estate investment side, um, it makes the long-term rentals a hot market. So that will be because it's it's a real estate investment doing all that stuff. So does that all of that go to you if they go to Rarick and if they go to if they choose us? Um, like here, you know, I mean, there's you're talking about these corporations that buy or have all multiple Airbnbs or there's like two corporations that have four hundred and everything yeah, else you know, they're all yeah. multiple states and you know that we're still kind of you know small. Business, yeah. locally business, we probably want to do something with that just because of how much is involved. They, they usually would probably have an attorney have or a team. team. Exactly. Yeah. Do you see uh, get, kind of getting away from like specifically what you do, more personal opinion? Do you see a change in this area, negative or positive change in the area because of the Airbnb? Oh, yeah. Situation? They, they yeah. drove the prices up. So high here, and I know it was going up crazy, kind of you know all over the place. It was definitely a buyer's or a seller's market. Um, but yeah, like when I first got here, did like you know what used to be a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars is now like six, seven hundred thousand dollars here. You know what I mean? That's a massive increase, right? So now seeing it, um, you know, still still watching. I still want to invest here. Um, it is coming down, and the big part of that is uh, one: the interest rates. Um, the price definitely has to fluctuate where somebody can afford the price and the interest rates. It'll always balance itself out usually. And then two: the Airbnb market is so saturated now that these people probably either going to foreclose on it or have to sell it. To yeah, because people are buying. They didn't buy when it was low, and then made an Airbnb property. And then wrote it up. They bought when it was high, when the exactly. property was a three bed, one bath, two bath house that they bought for six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and when they're doing the math, they're like, "Well, we're going to make all this money because it's so much we charge per night." Exactly. And then boom. Yeah. Which I would say, you know, Joshua Tree National Park is still pretty. It's still pretty hot. You know, we're still getting a lot of tourists, but with. Uh, getting my degree in finance, one of the things that we studied was economics and. 
when prices and interest rates go up, people stop spending money. That's how they counter inflation. They counter all that. And that, that's literally what I think we're about to see here is stuff like this is about to slow down just because it's too expensive. Yeah. That's not just here. Most of the people that are at the tourism, it's tourism that's driving Airbnb. Up. Exactly. It's tourism. So if everybody's getting pinched, wherever these tourists are coming from, they're going to stop coming because right. they don't have money to survive unless they got some crazy lucky job where they work from home. And, right. You know. Yeah, and, and we're seeing a lot of that too. We're seeing bigger money come into here. Um, with Joshua Tree getting put on the map, we're seeing a lot of LA people, you know, making this big bucks and coming out here where it's cheaper. So I think this town has a lot of potential um, just because of the amount, you know, we get getting big fish up here. Um, but yeah, you know, Airbnb's high. I, I, I me personally, if I could, I, I would jump on if it was the right price since I'm in the Airbnb. But you know, the second they put a hotel in Joshua Tree, all these Airbnbs are done for. Yeah. You know, the, the thing, 2020, whenever they were closing businesses down and, you know, like looking at smaller towns and seeing how they were suffering where like the small businesses and the smaller towns suffered so hard because, you know, legislation or whatever got passed so they can't be open or right. they had to own, there was a portion of their business that they had to shut down. Um, and so they were relying on this other half of their business to do it. Restaurants, you know, not being able to serve people indoors, they had to serve them outdoors or they couldn't even do that. And so they had to do deliveries and then they couldn't serve alcohol. And that might've been where most of their money came from. Like everybody's getting pinched. One of the things that I worry about in this area, tourism is the main driver of the economy up here right now. Right. You know, you look at all these small businesses that can't afford, because of the population level, they can't afford to pay their employees more. And those people are supposed to be living in this community where the prices are driving up. For sure. The more people that come out here, the more development that comes out here is going to drive up property taxes, which isn't just going to affect homeowners. It's also going to affect business owners. Right. I worry about areas like this that they don't have any other economy outside of tourism. And as they grow, where you get big, big spenders coming out here, building giant houses, and they decide to move out here full time. I worry that all of the locals are going to get pushed out. Yeah, for sure. I think it's happening now. I mean, you see all the surrounding cities, which is just desert. So you see Landers starting to gain a little more people. You know what I mean? Morongo is getting pushed into um, 29. Never would have thought 29 would get even where it's at now. Uh, 29's always been like straight dump, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, Sorry, 29. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. That's almost exactly what it's doing, you know? But it gave an opportunity people that are here to sell super high to make a good chunk of change. Um, but at a time, but then now it's like if they want to stay in this community, where do they go? There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see, um, I don't know how it works. You know, a lot of smaller towns usually have a, a big lower income population, a lot of people on welfare and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Is that taxed differently? Is it taxed? Welfare? Yeah. Mm. It's a, They have to hit a, a certain threshold. So I think it is taxed as an income. Um, but I mean, if, if you're only making, you know, the standard deduction last year was like 25,000. So 
if you're not making more than twenty five thousand, you're not paying tax on anything. But you still got to pay, or you still got to do your taxes. Yeah, you, I mean, you still gotta I don't file. know if people know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're making income, I mean, not really. So it's a hard situation, and it's really up to the preparer to say. Like, so I, I had a client that you know just had social security he was making and, and you know it was probably like 18 grand there's no need to file a tax return at that point it, right like what, what's that gonna it's they're just, he's just paying me money then at that right. point for nothing um there's no tax withheld and stuff like that so like if you're just living on straight welfare and you don't you know none of that's going to be taxable income no there's not really a point to file that but you know, moving from just like straight welfare, you know, capital gains. Yeah, you know, if if you hit a couple grand at the casino, of course you got to report that. You know, I think the casino reports anything over a grand. Um, was it a grand? I thought it was like three grand or something. No, I believe it. Is. I believe it's a grand now. Yeah. Um, what's that thing that we were talking about? I wanted to get into. Oh, shoot, the thing I asked you to look up, like nonprofit. Yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't have much experience with nonprofits. Um, I guess then just, just like general outline of how the nonprofit thing like works. Like what, what is the, I think a lot of people think of nonprofit as like, they're not supposed to make any money. No, and that's so not. You hear, you hear nonprofit and you immediately think like charity or like they're not supposed to make money. It says nonprofit. So why would they make profits? And then when they make profits, everybody gets mad. Yeah, no. So to become a nonprofit, obviously there's requirements. So it's like religious and religious entities, scientific, charitable, educational, stuff like that. Um, but there, there is like a certain point, you know, that you have to, the tax return on itself is, is really all I kind of know. And that's just a little bit of it. Your donation. So if you make under, I think the threshold is 50,000. Um, you know, you, you follow it on a 940. It's super simple. You just show, you know, this was the income. This is how it was distributed. This is like, you know, going what the expenses were for that cause. Um, but if it's then over the $50,000 threshold that changes your tax reform from a 940 to 940EZ, um, which then they have to see where that money was derived from. Because um, pretty much if it's not from, you know, donation, would be counted as taxable income. So like uh like what the scenario I was saying before where someone had like their personal account and they were giving a loan to the nonprofit to that, pay off a credit card that the nonprofit had. You would yeah, that will that does it work the same way or is it kinda not necessarily that that would because that would be almost just like a donation. So okay. I think that can be treated just as a donation. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You kind of changing gears here. Do you think that there were things that you learned in the Air Force? Was that your first job? First job ever. Marine Corps was my first job. Yeah. I couldn't have joined any sooner. I, was, <laughs> I didn't turn 18 until after boot camp. Same. Um, do you think there was things that you learned in the Air Force that transferred over that you didn't think would into what you do now? Yeah, I think, I think for sure there was. Um, you know, I'm not really in, I went from a leadership to non-leadership role in a sense, um, which I was, you know, it was a pretty big step back, but 
having that leadership role um, allowed me to meet a lot of people in the Air Force, you know, public speaking. Um, I, I was briefing all the time um, to multiple people and then just like interactions with people. Um, I think that was one of the biggest things that I think I could have taken, taken from the Air Force was the ability to interact with people, you know, very well. I actually enjoy it. Um, uh, one of the biggest things I was told when joining, you know, network is huge. And that's one thing I really focused on in the Air Force was networking. Um, you know, and I have a few guys that think like me and all constantly talking about this stuff and feeding ideas back and forth. But, you know, being allowed to, uh, being able to communicate really well, um, I think reflects great in this job because the point of, you know, for me to make money in this job is to build a clientele. Um, and if the clients like you, they'll, they'll return, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people don't have that. I came across a lot of bad briefing, bad public speakers in the Air Force. And, you know, would they do well in the job like this? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I had, <laughs> dude, I had people in higher ranks, like, like high enlisted ranks that they would be reading off like somebody's warrant. Right. Like for a NAM or like a Navy accommodation medal or yeah. something. And they like are messing everything up. They can't even read. They're like, dude, I can't believe you're in charge of me. Exactly. And a lot of these leadership <laughs> classes that I took, um, you know, that it, it was strictly on public speaking and interaction, you know, like making eye contact, um, your tone, your, you know, the words that you use. Um, you kind of just feed off the person or the crowd that you're talking to. And, and I think that translates pretty well over to this career. Yeah. There, uh, you know, there's, if there's any people listening to this who are in the military right now, you don't have to have a hard transition out of the military if you don't want to, but it requires you to maybe sacrifice some time with the buddies to focus on your future. Like it really is important. I think even though you were, um, trying to get out early and then it like, Things got crazy. It ended up happening. You got out early. You were going to school. Like, you know, whether or not you you just do your general ed and get it out of the way. Like, get that out of the way. Try to make your transition as easy as possible and start thinking about what it is that you want to do when you get out. And it doesn't always have to be like the easy choice. Like, I know for me, it was like, well, when you get out of the military, you maybe go to school or you become a cop. <laughs> you know, like it's easy transition to just go to like another, like a paramilitary type of lifestyle stuff. And if you like that, that's awesome. We need people like that. But um, you need to like really consider what it is you're going to do with your future. And don't don't look at the military like how I did, where you're looking about how you're getting treated and like you get super bitter about the bad things in the military. Use that time as a as a way to build your resume. Learn how to word things that you're experiencing and that the schools you go to in the military and learn how to word it for a civilian resume. Talk to people outside because a lot of those things, the military's job is not to tell you how to not be in the military. Like it's on you. So if you don't want it to suck, one of the big things that lead to people's suicide coming out of the military is the fact that they don't know what to do with their life. You know, exactly. I think that was really well put. You know, that transition, I was young, straight out of high school. The transition to the military, I think, was easy. You know, they, at, you know, boot camp or basic training, pretty much just tell you to stop mm-hmm. thinking. And They're giving you the structure in your life. Exactly. And then I think that was way harder than the transition of, of coming out. But, you know, I, 
I, I talked to people I heard and I think that was the biggest thing that did set me apart to multiple people that I saw get out was, you know, I was creating that plan and building that resume. You know, I, I went to school my pretty much almost my entire career. I just wasn't allowed to go to school that first year I was in, but I didn't finish my degree in, until June of 22. So last year, um, but still though, like, not that I, if I, I don't think I really necessarily needed that degree for where I'm working at now, but that's always something you can fall back on um, at any time, um, which is important. I, I don't think, I think people, like you said, get so focused on just getting out and how much the military sucks. But they don't think about when you do get out that that's just as bad of a struggle. Well, that's the thing too. All those dudes that are like, why are you getting out? You're not going to be able to make it. Blah. Those dudes are going after a retirement that sucks. Yeah. Their retirement sucks. I think my dad put it one time that he was making as a firefighter working for San Bernardino County. He made more doing that job. He wasn't even high up. Like he was like, you know, middle, middle of the road. I think he might have been a captain. He was like, I make more money doing this right here in the middle of this this job than the commandant of the Marine Corps makes. That's so crazy to me. Yeah. And and this is what I want to like point out. Like eventually you're gonna have to get out of the military, whether you want to stay in for full 20, 30, whatever you want to do, eventually you're gonna have to get a new job. That that transition out of the military is going to happen. And you need to plan for that. For sure. And and when you set yourself up for success, you know what I mean? Really, my goal was Unless you're officer where, yeah, you know, you could then make, you know, a hundred grand, you know, when you start making higher ranks of an officer, my, my goal to be, you know, was an E4, which was $48,000 a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I could have stayed in and, uh, you know, got my retirement, maybe get like 60, 50 K mm-hmm. from retirement, um, or, you know, work in a position where I can make further more than $45,000 and put that into a retirement account that I can control. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I think I can set myself up much better. One with my own real estate goals, like you travel so much in the military, it's hard to get into like real estate investing. Mm-hmm. You have to be really driven. I feel like just because, you know, you can deploy anytime and be gone for seven months. And yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, whenever I deployed for seven months, I think I came back with 15 grand. Right. 15. That's it. 15 grand. Getting hazard pay, getting combat zone pay, whatever. It was like 15 grand. I was smart and I didn't touch that until after I got out of the military. And guess how fast that 15 grand went away? It took like three months. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of these things where like you have to start, you can start making other money in the military. Like learn how investing works. Like that TSP, that thrift savings plan that, they tell you to, maybe they don't tell you, but they tell you to start and you get like 5% or whatever. It is trash. It's trash. I think it makes negative money now. Right. Yeah. Look at that mind. So I, I, I mean, I used it. They told me that I think it was uh, tech school. So right after basic, they said, you guys can do this now. And I was like, sure. Might as well just put in something. The matching, you know, it was nice. It's free money into that account. Mm-hmm. But you can transfer that. You know, yeah, out. that's so, what I'm saying. Like, exactly. do your research and find better ways to make money. Yeah, do not you, you leave have to that in there. there. I know there's so many dudes that come from like backwoods Kentucky that are like, I don't know what a dollar bill is. It's like, whatever. <laughs> yes, I'm making fun of you. <laughs> you are. Um, 
Start doing your research. You got that phone in your hand. Start doing some research on how money works because you're going to have to know that when you get out. Um, don't solely rely on VA disability. Don't solely rely on GI Bill. You got to start thinking about how the world really works if you want to be successful on the other side. Um, you know, I think you had asked me a while back, like, if I had any advice on transition. Mm-hmm. And I kind of copped out and was like, don't get fat. <laughs> which is true but I, I the the bigger idea behind that was and i think you're you're on the right track doing this but the object of the game is to be the best version of yourself sure. i think if more people were taught that growing up it would affect how they are in the military how they perform it affects their transition. It affects how they are with their with their families, their wife and kids, how they are in their jobs. It affects everything. I think like being the best version of yourself requires you to educate yourself on how things work, Absolutely. being prepared for everything. Absolutely. So, you know, being not like don't be fat is definitely part of that. Yes. Like, it's so many people that are like, <laughs> yeah. If my if my family was trapped in a burning car, I could totally lift that up. It's like, all right, we'll lift this fifty pound weight. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, um, it, it's just it, overall. Um, I had you know Billy Weaver on this last podcast, and we were kind of talking about all the problems in the world and like what is the answer to it. I think we can all recognize that a lot of the chaos, the problems in the world, is a top down like malfunction people at the top their leadership skills is just super poor and they're out for themselves and it just trickles all the way down but i think the way that you solve that is a bottom up you have to look at the individual every individual needs to work on themselves and being the best version of themselves for sure how that affects their families how that affects their community you know the place that they work the business that they own the people they interact with every day we got to get better as individuals Absolutely. I think that leans on like informational sharing. Like you said, you know, we never, we never took a class that taught us about money or taught us about taxes. Um, and the only reason, you know, I got into this and what I do, you know, my good buddies that, you know, are still in service back in Arkansas, you know, I, I still talk to them and I, you know, I'm telling them what I'm learning to help them. And, and I think that's one of the biggest important factors, you know, you, you got to better yourself. You got to gain this knowledge, but what you do with the knowledge is really important also. Um, you know, for instance, like what I've learned this past year, strictly in these investment tests and studying for them is, is dude, there's, there's so many investment vehicles out there. It's not just real estate and stock market, you know, and crypto is coming huge. And I think we're moving a lot towards crypto. I personally not a big fan of crypto. It's super volatile and stuff like that, but you know, there's, Literally, investment vehicles for any type of person. You can get super aggressive or super conservative. Um, for instance, like this this last year, you know, I mean, I, I put my money into the government I bond, which you know was matching inflation rates at nine percent. Um, I think I got into it, and now it's sitting at like six percent. Um, while my bank accounts give me 0.01%, you know, CDs, you can throw a six month CD and, and get four percent off of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, if you don't know what these terms are. Oh, watch a YouTube video. Read yeah, a book. you know, it, you got the access to information. Use it exactly. And I mean, I didn't know what what really a CD was. I've heard the term. I, I didn't know 
um, what it was. And I never, definitely didn't hear about government savings bond. Like I didn't even know what a bond was. Um, but, and I, I think that's why, you know, the small business I work in is, you know, we're not shy to share this information with people. Um, and I think it's important, you know, to be a better version of yourself is, you know, to be smart with your money. And I think, I think that's true. And I think you need to be able, you know, if you have a family to, you know, not just support your family, um, but support the generations to come for that too, or, or something in the, in between that, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there's like, you know, these, these different types of investments that people don't really realize, but they're out there and it's better than sitting in a savings account. And sometimes you got to talk to a professional to know what all of your, <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, all right, man. Well, we're at two minutes, 15 seconds or two minutes, two hours, two hours and 15 seconds. Yeah. It flew by. It did. It flew by quickly. Um, you got any final thoughts for anybody listening? People in the military, sixty-year-old uh, ladies. The famous were are saying sixty-year-old. The famous saying in the military is to embrace the suck. You know, and what you focus on and put your attention to really will drive out, like create your actions on what's next. And you know, one of the biggest things that I think I caught myself up in was I was so. Like all my attention and focus was on money. And then when you look at the bigger picture, a lot of this big politicians that are affecting all these things that, you know, we see as bad is simply is mostly driven by money. I mean, it brings out greed. Um, so it, it may suck. You know what I mean? You may be in tight spot. Um, but like you said, being, making that better, better person, being the better self that you can, you know, it's important and, and thinking about, you know, two, five, 10 years from now and, and how can you set yourself up now um, is huge. And then everyone else, you know what I mean? Everybody does taxes. Um, it, the knowledge is powerful. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, you don't have to necessarily pay for an entire tax return to somebody file. You know, the console is, is worth so much information um, just to be able to talk to somebody. And, yeah. and build that relationship. Exactly. Yeah. That networking is key. You know what I mean? Yep. Make a friend. You know, and a, yeah. that's a financial advisor. That's a tax repair, and did you have you have access to so much information you don't even know? Yeah, well said, man. Um, I know you're going to be trying to build your client list. You got that big test coming up where you can do the whole shebang for everybody, right. master money, and all that stuff. Um, is there is there like a place that they can go to personally contact you if they're wanting your your services and stuff? For sure. You like a name and number? Yeah, or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I work for Rarick Financial Group. That number is 760 um, There's so much knowledgeable and experience in this office that, you know, even if you don't necessarily talk to me directly, like, you'll get the best service or information that you need for sure. Sweet. Support your small business. Also support this podcast. Please share it. I don't pay for ads or anything. Um, yeah. Please share it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dawson. Just good talking to you, bud. Yeah, thank you.